Fair enough. Well, cheers, man. Oh, this is awesome. I really appreciate you being willing to uh, to come on. Uh, we've been talking for so long, and I think that we're lucky to learn from each other and hear what the journey's been like. And I really admire the work that you're doing in terms of just developing something that uh, shares your passion. And so I'm wondering, can you just tell us about how you got into um, making leatherwork videos? Because I think that that's hopefully the path other people are willing to take uh, is just figuring out what they want to want to yeah. do and then just chasing it and making it a part-time thing and then letting that grow from there. It's funny. It's something that I like never planned on getting into at all. Um, it started kind of in the pandemic. Like I guess the pandemic started really February ish, March ish, 2020. And so I went on Instagram and started looking at stuff then. And then kind of, I bought like a pair of red wing leather boots and then I, really liked those. And then I was looking at like nice leather wallets. I had like a cheap one off wish, like one of the elastic band and like metal plate ones. Right. And then uh, I was looking at like just guys making leather stuff, wallets. And that led to me looking at YouTube and then following, there's a ton of leather workers on Instagram. And uh, yeah, I just started following them. And then I followed one guy who's actually out of Langley. So pretty close to here. And started talking with him, and then he kind of was showing me how easy it is to get into. And I just picked up some, there's like leatherworking toolkits on Amazon for super cheap, I think like 50 bucks. Right. And they're like horrible tools, but they like, I still use a couple of them, but. They open the door. They, yeah, for sure. So I grabbed one of those, and then um, I grabbed some leather that was like a, he calls it leather roulette, where you just pay a little bit of money and you get whatever he decides to send you. And he's actually out of Saskatchewan. So it's like, Oh, keeping, keeping, yeah, I was trying to keep my stuff as local as I can. And, uh, so I got that and then I just started, I meant to bring it and I forgot, but I made like just a horrible little crappy wallet. I think I like ran out of thread twice while making it and it's super janky looking. It's, but it was the first thing I made. And then I just kept making stuff. My buddy kept helping me out and, uh, yeah, it just kind of grew into something bigger than I thought. And it just started as a hobby. I was on paternity leave from work. I just had a kid right. and, uh, and then the COVID thing. So we just, I would put her down for a nap and then I would just make leather things. Oh my gosh. Can yeah. you introduce yourself for people who might not know who you are and yeah, uh, your sorry. YouTube channel? Yeah. So I'm uh, Tim. I run black flag leather goods. I just make like small leather goods, like wallets and bags, stuff like that. Uh, I started selling things online and then it just kind of got too much with working a full-time job and having a kid and stuff. And then I started making YouTube videos and that picked up steam and it's, it's not like I'm a huge YouTuber or something, but I'm coming up on 5,000 subscribers and I get paid by YouTube. And so it's, uh, I can kind of make what I want and then uh, make my money through videos. And I just make like how to's on for new leather workers, how to make leather things. Right. That's so interesting. Please try uh, the proper 12 by yeah. uh, Mr. Connor McGregor. Yeah, I'm um, excited for this. I'm interested in your feedback. And I have McKellen, uh, I think, 12 year scotch. That's really good, actually. I, um, I really like the Irish whiskey. I, um, I was a scotch purist for a long time. And then I think I started 
drinking Tula Mordu, I think it was called, and that's really good too. <laughs> so, oh, can you tell me, do you know the difference? My partner was just asking because uh, the Macallan is scotch and whiskey. And she's like, do they mix? How does that work? Oh, I think, I think for scotch to be scotch, it has to be from Scotland is the big okay. thing. Um, is it a peated one? I, I'm not, I don't know. Not an expert. Yeah. I think it, I think the most important part is that it has to be from Scotland. Okay. Uh, I don't know too much, but I know single malt whiskeys mean that it's, um, it's so malt means that it's malted barley. Right. So I think that it means that it's toasted. I could be totally wrong. Someone's going to correct this. Yeah, that's fine. Cause I just enjoy the flavor and I'm always surprised when people are like, I can drink like 12 yeah. beers. It's like, I'd rather have something really good yeah. than like that. I'd only have to have a sip of and just enjoy the flavor. Yeah. I, th I think, I think single means it has to be from like one distillery right. and I think they can mix the years cause they do like, what they call like a Solera cask. So like if you have a 20 year whiskey, it might not all be 20 years. It could be say you make a whiskey, then the next year you cut it with the newest whiskey. And then the next year you keep, and you keep cutting it. And I think the year is the oldest age of the whiskey in there. Oh, interesting. So, but I think that's still single it, as in it's like made in the same distillery, but yeah. So it's all got the same type of quality. <laughs> yeah. But I'm no whiskey expert. I just like the stuff. Fair enough. So when you were getting interested in leather, is there a reason that it was leather? Is there like, did you enjoy like the texture or like the rustic look of it? Because we're going to talk later about some of the people that you kind of admire in the YouTube space in the, um, making and communicating ideas. So what was it about leather that kind of made you go, this is worth hopping on Amazon. This is worth paying 50 bucks and kind of going down this path. It, it's kind of, I'm kind of an old school guy. Like I like all the like heritage stuff. And there was a few things I was looking at at the same time and leather was just sort of the most accessible. Like I was watching leather working videos on YouTube. I also like knife making. I love watching forging and knife making. It's amazing. And guys doing like Damascus blades or. What are Damascus blades? It's like a blade. I wish I had one. It's like a, a blade where you take a bunch of steel and like different um, carbon amounts of steel and you fold them together and then when they like heat it up and press it you like press it a bunch of times in this big giant hammer thing they have and then you fold it and they keep doing that and it makes this like crazy design in the blade in the that's super cool interesting but i don't i live in a town home in chilliwack i don't have room for a forge and a and a power hammer and and all that and then so i was like okay well that's out i also was looking at glass blowing, which is pretty cool. That is it's super expensive. <laughs> what is the process of like glass blowing? It's they take like big you can you get big glass rods, and then they heat them up so they're pretty much molten, and then they just form them into cool things. Like they use um, it's essentially a big forge as well, and once it's molten, they have all kinds of tools to shape it, and then they can like for a cup they'll actually put a tube into it and blow air into it and make essentially like a molten glass bubble. And then they let it cool. And that's how they make glasses and 
like decorations and stuff like that. But that's so interesting to me because like you think about all the different like paths you can take in your life, and so many people seem stuck mm-hmm. doing like a nine to five that they're not passionate about, and like all you have to do is find something that kind of catches you and i don't know if you've watched harry potter at all um, but they have this idea in it uh, of the golden snitch and that's whatever it is that makes you interested in something it's that thing that like pulls you forward and makes you go i gotta go check this out i gotta go start my own thing i gotta do something and the whole character around harry potter is that he's the person who's really good at doing that of mm. figuring out what his passion is and trying to chase that forward and figuring out how he can make a difference and move in the right direction and so i've enjoyed the this podcast because I get to sit down with people and figure out what that crazy journey was to start something like leatherwork. Like <laughs> some people are like, I've never thought about leatherwork in my life. And I think that that's so, uh, I, there's reason to be optimistic about where we're going in the world because you're able to do this and work another job and start to develop something you're excited about. So what was that early phase like for you? Were you like, I'm going to go all in or was it just like, oh no, this no. is taking up all my time. It's uh it was definitely like a dip your toe in the water kind of thing. And, and it, it takes a long time to even get half decent at it, especially like I'm not the most creative guy. This is probably the first creative thing I've ever done. Right. And so learning that took a lot of, like I said, the, the lead from the other leather business, he helped me a lot, even to the point of where I was like screwing stuff up. He would uh, go on like a live video with me and and we'd like stitch something up together and he would watch what I'm doing and be like, oh, that's wrong. This is what you're doing. But he's, um, I think he's been at it. I've been at it two years in July and I think he's about four years, five years. I could be wrong, but he's, uh, he's pretty good and he's selling a lot of stuff now. Oh, so he's like, he's gone down that path. And maybe we can get into that. Like you chose the path of uh, what's called affiliate marketing, um, where you more just talk about other products you can purchase to get started. But it sounds like he's chosen the path of actually making and selling the products. Can you walk us through with that? You you went in that direction and it sounds like you kind of went, that's probably not for me. And I think for people who are maybe interested in starting their own thing, starting their own YouTube channel, you can give some insights as to how you go about making that decision. Yeah. Um, It it started, I originally, I had no plan on on doing YouTube at all. I've always kind of wanted to do YouTube, but I didn't really kind of marry the two together yet. I just was doing the leather thing. And then when I got good enough to start selling them, I was like, oh, you can actually make it. It takes a long time to make a wallet. So like you can, if you're doing it by hand, you can make a decent amount of money on each one. Although probably not like probably never are charging enough. I think if you, it's not scalable in that you no. can produce enough in order to have like a, I can relax and not have to be making things in no. the evening. So like the first Christmas season in 2020, I had 30 wallets to make and they're all like completely handmade, like cut out by hand. I use an exacto knife and hand stitched and, and it was like a nightmare. I, I did get them all done. Yeah. I got them. I finished them on Christmas Eve, <laughs> the last, the last two, and quickly got it out to the person. Luckily, she was in Chilliwack, but um, I had my wife down there, kind of helping me where she could, and it was crazy. It was my daughter usually sleeps for about three hours or so on a nap, and it was every single day, like all three of those hours, um, and then sometimes like going into the night, just trying to fulfill all of that. And that was kind of where I 
decided I was going to pull back a little bit. Was it still fun in those days where you were like doing it? It would sound like it turned into a job. And I'm always interested in that like transition because artists like Carrie Lynn Victor talked about how like when it starts to become work, when it starts to become like it's not what you wanted to make, it's what somebody else wanted to make. So was that like it became a job? That's exactly what it was. It was when I had 30 and it was like 30 of like three different products. So it was like a whole bunch of the same ones. And then I was like, okay, well, this is, this was supposed to be a hobby. And I was just selling them to kind of fund my next set of tools and and stuff to keep doing it. And now I'm like, yeah, like you said, working a job. So that's kind of where I started pulling back. And then I'd also done like a few projects where I wasn't super into them and then vowed never to make those things again. So then when I started YouTube, it was kind of a trial and it, even though my early videos were like horrible, <laughs> um, they started picking up steam. Cause I guess like, even if the video production's horrible, if you put something out there that people like that helps someone, I think they can look past that. And so I started gaining subscribers and then I was like, Oh, I can move forward with this. I'm, I'm fortunate that I actually know a guy who manages a 2 million subscriber YouTube channel for his business. And so he was giving me some hints and tips and stuff like that, just saying this is what we did early on. And so I kind of took those and and kept going and then watched at scale and then realized that, okay, this is probably something that I could make money at. And so I kind of just completely closed my books, although I closed my books and then I still somehow get orders. Some people still sweet talk me. So, but it's, it's like a few things versus, you know, 30 right before Christmas. Right. So I don't mind doing that, especially if I'm like, Oh, I want to buy this while I can make an extra couple hundred bucks. If I put a few hours in on this one thing versus it feeling like a job, it's interesting. So like, my partner has been really supportive in terms of like when I, we started basically the same time because I started March, 2020 developing the idea of like, what would a podcast look like? Yeah. It was June, 2020 that I recorded my first episode, which was not great. Um, but over that time, she's been supportive. Um, after we're done this, she's the one who puts together the little clip of each person being like, hi, my name is this. Uh, she's helped with, she does like my Instagram now. I was terrible at Instagram. I didn't understand it. Um, and she's taking on more and more. Yeah. It sounds like your wife was right there with you in the December time. What was that like to pitch this idea of doing leather work in your <laughs> spare time and then having her come down and help you get out orders? I, I- I think early on, I think she thought I was a little bit uh, crazy and it was definitely uh, somewhat of a burden because I started like on the kitchen table. And so I would like, uh, for the first little bit of the paternity leave I was on, she was home too. And so I was like, had this out on the table or whatever, but then, um, she would, well, she went back to work eventually and I was still off for another, uh, two months. And so she would come home and the tables covered and like, random leather working crap and like a big like cow hide sitting there <laughs> and, and so i think she was getting a little frustrated with it and then uh we have a luckily we have an unfinished basement so i just quickly made a little workbench and put it down there but she's been she's been good she's been supportive um she's not she hasn't been like doing my social media and stuff like that but she's helped like with a lot of making of things and uh definitely uh, been supportive when I'm like, oh, I have to go down and film this weird thing or I have to go 
you know, take pictures of this wallet and <laughs> <laughs> like, or if we're like out in public and I have like a pocket full of wallets, like putting them on stuff on like the rotary trail, like putting them on rocks and taking stupid pictures of wallets and stuff. That's so cool. I, th- I think people underestimate, like, the behind the scenes because, like, for the podcast, for sure, people are like, oh, like, you just sit down and record. And it's like you don't see, like, the, like, question development. You don't see, like, trying to figure out what microphone to use. Mm-hmm. You don't see any of that, like, process. And then me editing the night before I'm about to release it, making sure everything looks good, that, like, th- this is all on the side of my bed, like, typing something <laughs> yeah, out yeah. and editing. People don't see that. And so, like, there's something, I think, cool about being able to share that of the crazy having a uh, pocket full of wallets that people don't get to see and they don't get to see the commitment the drive to want to take good photos and share something that people are going to enjoy seeing yeah it's there's like a bunch of like weird impacts that you wouldn't like even just looking weird in public when people are like watching you take pictures of dumb little challenge coins and then and crap like but it's like they're, they're sort of missing out because if you don't have that passion where you're like you're thinking of how to make this better or how to improve it something it's almost like that's like that where meaning is found like where your things are worthwhile and you start to get yeah. excited about your day and you're like oh yeah sure i have to go do this i have to go grocery shopping i have to do that crap mm-hmm. but afterwards I get to do what I'm excited about which is take that good photo which is to go out here and try and angle this in this way or how can I improve this and reaching out to people who also have those passions I think is motivational where I'm interested what was that like for you was there any people who were like what are you doing you need to get back to work or was everybody pretty supportive uh I mean honestly everyone's been pretty supportive I mean I still work full-time so it's not like I'm abandoning everything for YouTube although I do have the one buddy who's like oh you're gonna go full-time youtube at some point and and i'm like oh i don't i don't know about that but um yeah for me everyone's been pretty supportive other than they'll make some jokes influencer jokes or 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 whatever but i'm uh yeah i've i've had a good time doing what i'm doing and i haven't taken too much flack about it yet that's good yeah where did you go after deciding not to? You've gone down the YouTube route. Can you walk us through what that sort of looks like, the early stages? Because, like, you don't think about when you watch YouTube, you don't realize the work that needs to go into making a thumbnail, putting in a description, hashtags, like making sure everything is put together, that that catchy line. I had no idea. I've been watching YouTube since, I guess, 2013 or something like that. Never realized the behind the scenes effort that goes into it. Yeah. YouTube is a beast. It's, it's hard to, exp- like, you can listen to someone explain it and it's hard to understand it unless you are doing it, but like kind of the biggest advice that pretty much every big YouTuber gives is just to start. But I feel like I imagine you were the same way too. There's like this before you start up this like month or longer hesitation where you're like putting off doing it because you want it to be so perfect. And realistically, you just need to like start and put out your crappy videos. And I think it's Roberto Blake that says you you need to make a hundred videos before you'll make a good one. Your first hundred videos are going to be crap and that's the learning process. And so I kind of took that and then I, I watch way too much YouTube and, and way too many of these YouTube educators, but I just, I took that and then Mr. Beast says just every video do one thing better than your previous video. Yeah. And so I started, I just threw up my first 
horrible video and just started trying to improve one thing better, which early on was uh, lighting was really bad for me. It's still not great, but I'm getting there. But lighting was bad. Um, trying to have some kind of personality on camera is bad. It's still not great. <laughs> um, I think it's really good. I think you know where you're taking this, and I think it's good. Um, but just things like that, like just criti- critique your previous video and then make do one thing better each video. It's They're not going to be a masterpiece. They're not going to be like cine- cinematography like early on. You're not going to be Peter McKinnon in your first year. It's it, You need to start crappy and just work your way up and that's the process on youtube like even like you said the thumbnails and stuff the thumbnails the titles are arts themselves like these big youtubers have staffers that they have a thumbnail guy they have a title guy and these people just sit and do just that thing i had no idea yeah not not all of them but some of them um a lot of people outsource to um Guys, like people on Fiverr, there's like people on Fiverr that make just thumbnails. But it's th- the thumbnails arguably more important than your video because you can have the best video. And if you have a crap thumbnail, no one's going to even click on your video. Yeah, that's one of the challenges and like developing something over time. Because I think of like what my first iteration of the podcast logo looks like compared to now like i think it looks way better but i didn't know how bad it was when i started and luckily my partner's interested in um developing and improving on social media and she did my whole rebrand and i think it's important that you try and like i didn't have photos of the guest typically Mm. in my first like 50 interviews like it's crazy i've gone back and edited and put photos of them in but to not to lack that and not realize how bad it was. Yeah. But it's the doing the one thing better. Like you're you're noticing these. I, I like your new logo that you kind of kept it the same style as the as the old one though, like the neon lights. Yeah, it's all Rebecca. I, she came to me and she was like, Yeah, we can update your logo. This is what I would do. And then I was like, that looks so much better. Like I can't it's believe slick. it. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. So just developing something and then figuring out how to grow that into something that people are going to be excited about because it's like you're trying to share your passion. And I think that that's something I struggled with early on was like, nobody's going to care. And how do I like, I don't want to push it on people. And then it's like, but you have to be your your own champion for what you're working on. Mm-hmm. And you have to figure out how to do that. And I think just that rule of like improving one thing each time, I think that can be applied to like a lot of Anything. your life. Yeah. yeah. Like exercise, going for runs, like doing a little bit more than you did the last time when you're at work doing a little bit more work than you did the last time like just seeking to improve is just a good thing overall oh yeah it's it's that like i think a lot of people want like instant gratification now instead of like having to work hard for something like they just expect to be amazing at something off the bat and that doesn't work with like anything let's hear there's the odd like prodigy but for most of us, it's the grind, right? Yeah. So can you give us a behind the scenes of how, um, when you're developing a thumbnail, like what's that process that you go through? Is it that you're, because I've seen, um, we can talk about vidIQ and which what's, what's the one you use? I use TubeBuddy. Yeah. But it's the same thing. Okay. Yeah. And so like there's these things that help you develop what's called SEO, which I always thought was just a nonsense word. And now I'm starting to realize it's not a nonsense word. It's It, it kind of depends on what you want to do do like SEO uh, search engine optimization. And I think it's kind of something that's going out the window just in listening to a lot of podcasts, but where it is relevant is um, 
say someone like looking on YouTube, how to do something. I feel like the SEO is important for searchable content. Like uh, I want to know how to unplug a toilet or something. It's going to be good for that. I don't think it matters so much for someone that's like uh, a really personality based channel, like a vlog or something. I don't think it probably matters too much unless they're teaching you something specific in it. Interesting. But, but it's essentially you want to take keywords. So like how to unplug a toilet and then SEO would be making your description there kind of match that those keywords you want those keywords in it and you want you basically want the machine to understand that this video is how to unplug a toilet yeah and you have to try and figure out a way to like get that across. yeah yeah it's it's super weird but I've, then i've been listening to some stuff lately that's saying that the youtube algorithm is so advanced now that it knows what your video is about like it when you put something up on YouTube, it reads all this text. It knows everything that's here. It knows who you are. It, it understands every single word you say. Like if you go turn your captions on, it's like 98% accurate just based on you talking. So it knows what your video's about, I'm pretty sure. Interesting. Yeah. That's freaky to think about. It's kind of weird, yeah. Because <laughs> like, would you say that then like in my three-hour interviews, it's like it's obviously got a transcript of that, yes. but that, that it knows to... Like when people are searching for stuff that it would find what's in my transcript. A hundred percent. Yeah. That just blew my mind. Yeah. There, I can't remember who it was. I was listening to like, uh, it was like a Nick Nimmin podcast or something. And he had a guest on and he kind of is like a guy that's like trying to hack the YouTube algorithm. And he intentionally puts things like with text in his background, just cause he knows that YouTube's going to read it like hashtags and, and just random stuff. And he changes it every episode because he thinks that makes a difference. Whether it does or not, I don't know. But. Just random text. Yeah, keywords and stuff. Oh, wow. That's so interesting because, like, I really – I don't – do you watch with captions? I can't watch without them anymore. Like, I feel like it just – it all makes more sense when I can see them talking and I see the captions. Yeah, and I'm one of those people that watches without any sound on most for the most part. Really? Yeah. Is that because it's at night and it makes it some, Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've done that as well. And I'm I'm interested to see where podcasts go. Are you going to – are you at all interested in that space? Yeah, yeah. I, I am. I don't really – I, I love the idea. I don't really have a podcast topic right. other than like, I wouldn't mind like just doing some dude chat BSing kind of podcast, but yeah. I don't know how much interest it is there. There's a lot of those. Yeah. I think that there's like camaraderie. I was uh, talking to um, Adam Gibson cause I wouldn't mind doing uh, something like a, a challenge where we like work out for a month and we, him and I compete with each other, but then we sit down each week and we do a podcast on like where our competitions at. And then we raise money for charity That'd and try good. and donate it to a good cause. I was thinking of like, what if I ran to hope? And then we did like a uh, um, bowls of hope, like raise money for them because yeah. hope and hope. Um, so I'm interested in like getting more into this. Um, I just, I feel like now I'm ready to take on different things yeah. and approach this differently where this is still be about role models, but I want to do something else where it's like, it's more just trying and being athletic and trying to do different things with it. So I think that it's just important that people start to find something that they're excited about and then just start to chase that, like that bug. Yeah. Yeah. Where are you finding your audiences? Is it more YouTube or more Spotify or, or the podcast platforms? I would say that the podcast platforms predominantly, I can get really good numbers 
on YouTube, but like you get to know how many people are actually sitting through the whole three hour interview. And it's very rare that somebody's sitting through a whole three hour interview. Yeah. Um, so the numbers look, I would say, better, but the the real supporters, the people who are like, that 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 interview really impacted me. Like I learned so much from that. That's they're almost all podcast listeners. And so I think that you have a better retention rate with podcasts than with YouTube videos because people exit out or they forget about what they just learned. Mm-hmm. Where when I talk to somebody and they're like, Yeah, I've been listening for two years now, it's like what has that been like? And like, how, how have I changed to you? And like, what have you gotten out of it? Yeah. That's almost all podcasts. Most yeah. people who say, like, I listen on YouTube. It's like, yeah, I watch like 15 minutes, 20 minutes of it. And I didn't, I haven't finished it yet. And it's like, you're, you're never going to finish it. That's not how YouTube is. Yeah. I could, I could see that. Especially like for me, I, I, I do take in a lot of podcasts and I do almost all of them while sitting in a car. So yeah, the, the podcast platforms make it easier to, Bring all that in. Yeah, I think the biggest challenge with that is um, I switched from, I was on Buzzsprout, um, and the benefit to that is you get to put in keywords, um, but I switched over to Anchor, uh, which is owned by Spotify, because they put my videos on there. And so people can watch the full interview. And so just for certain podcasts, I enjoy like Lex Friedman. I'm able to like see him talking to Elon Musk. And like there's certain parts of that interview where it's like I need to see what is going on. Yeah. And there's something super interesting about that. And so I was a really – I'm an early adopter of that. I believe that that's hopefully the route we're going to go because I think it's important that you're able to not only hear the person but see how they're interacting. And yeah. that's going to give you the most information on whether or not they're like a good person, whether or not they're credible, whether or not they're reliable. And there's certain people I've had on where I'm like this and I'm looking at having on like politicians. Mm-hmm. And so I think it'll be important that we have a video element so you can see is this guy is this guy 100% can we trust him yeah. and like decide for yourself. I don't have all the right answers. I'll just ask the questions the best I can, but you decide for yourself whether or not the person's good, bad, left, right, like whatever it is. Yeah. And so I think that that's hopefully the route more podcasts go. The I don't like anchors set up for how I get my numbers because they seem to count like if somebody's they count it differently than Buzzsprout is all I can I guess I can say and so it's frustrating to try and figure out how many people are actually listening and um, everything that I've heard is like anchors unreliable for getting your exact numbers where Buzzsprout was more reliable yeah. but they couldn't do video I gotcha yeah. how does it work monetizing a uh, a podcast like uh, obviously on if you're on YouTube it's the same as anyone on YouTube but for like Spotify is it amount of time spent like if they come and listen or is it solely based on sponsorships? Uh, I would say you can go to uh, like a, a sponsorship model on things like Anchor. I know um, Apple Podcasts has like a, a membership program that you can be a part of where they'll help you bring in listeners, but you have to pay like $15 a month or something mm-hmm. to grow that. Uh, the route I've taken is just working with like great organizations that are more focused on the mission than like exactly how many people are listening if you're going if you're working with somebody who's purely focused on like i guess for me um like how many people are listening then you're not really understanding why i'm doing this because the tough thing about what i'm doing is that there's not like one 
person I'm talking, it's not just leather where you're able to really hone in on a community of people. Yeah. It's like one week it's a beekeeper, the next week it's a biologist, the next week it's a farmer. Like it's it's too sporadic to get consistency and to develop a community the same way. And so um, hopefully all the sponsors that I've gotten on have been just supportive of yeah. the vision of like, this is important for the community's benefit. Oh, that's a, that's a good point. It makes it hard to like do the YouTube like niche down thing then. Yeah, I, that's why, like, I watch some of the vidq stuff, and I'm like, I don't, like, I can't no. hone in. And then they talk about, like, you should talk about, like, a certain topic. And, like, oh, you can figure out, like, what's trending and what topics aren't being discussed. I can't help you there. I can't do that. So it's not an option. And so that's something I've been working on, trying to figure out how to communicate the message better. And with vid, vidIQ's help, I have noticed increasing benefits to people just finding my videos on YouTube. Yeah. Those guys have a really good podcast too. Which? Uh, the vidIQ guys. Yeah, I, I don't remember what it's called. Uh, Tube Talk, I think. Okay, no, I was listening to a guy and he was just talking about it and he was like, this is the route to take. But I've been super inspired by your work because you've been figuring this out and you're like, I would say like three steps ahead of me in terms of like steps you're taking to improve. And so it's always inspirational to connect with you over Instagram <laughs> and talk about where you're at and what you're working on. Can you tell us about where you're where you're taking things? Um, I, I plan to just keep growing the, the YouTube channel. I'm one of the things is I've found that I also really like doing YouTube. Um, so like YouTube's kind of become as much of a hobby as leatherworking is. So now I'm, it's hard to like start up another YouTube channel, but I kind of want to start one just for, to do my own thing and see if I can grow that as well at the same time the leather work one makes money. So it's, it's hard to kind of pick and choose where I'm going to go with that. But for the leather one, I just want to keep just growing it. I really want to, my goal has been to make like templates for people making leather things. Like, um, I just really want to make like intricate ones that people would charge money for and put them out for free, to be honest. Right. Um, that brings me a lot of traffic and I, I don't know. I feel some of them, some people just kind of overcharge for them. It is a lot of work to make these things, but I just like putting them out for free and helping people get started. And that's why I started the channel. And I don't want to stray too far from that, even if I am getting paid for it. You right. Know? Can you walk us through how the affiliate marketing works? Because I don't even know if the average person realizes how YouTube, how Amazon sort of work um, and like the behind the scenes of we hear about like um, you get um, what is it called when you're like a uh, partner with YouTube. But can you walk us through how that works and why somebody if they're like, I love doing art, but I haven't considered doing it on YouTube. I keep telling mm -hmm. people like consider YouTube because it's scalable. It doesn't have the amount of hours you put in. You can wake up the next morning and have 10,000 views and you, yeah. you were sleeping during it. Um, so can you walk us through sort of how YouTube functions? Yeah. Um so YouTube to just get into their partner program, you need a thousand subscribers and you need 4,000 hours of watch time, which is um, like the amount of time people have actually spent on your videos. And that I think it needs to be in the last year, but thousand subscribers and 4,000 hours watch time. And then they get, they let you into, or you can apply to go into the YouTube partner program. They, I have heard of them denying people based on like, I don't know, sketchy content content or controversial content. Um, basically YouTube, like 
they make money on advertisers and so they want their content to be as advertiser friendly as possible and they will kind of grade your content based on who they can at who would be a suitable advertiser on it so some people don't get let into the program or you might not have some of your videos able to be monetized for uh, if you're using like copyrighted material like uh, music's a big one um, but once you're in they will put ads on your videos and you get a uh, a small cut of that. They're obviously bringing in a lot of money from the advertisers and they, they will give you more money if you bring, put those ads in front of more people. So it's, you want a better video to bring in more viewers who will see their ads and then you get paid more. Right. Um, the other way I get paid, I actually get more money and there's no like entry level. Like you can put these on your videos from your first video as I do Amazon affiliates and the way they work is pretty good. You show some products or whatever, and you will put like a link in your description that has like a, it's like a custom link to you. It has like a tracker. And once someone clicks on that link for the next 24 hours, anything they buy on Amazon, you get a cut of. That's crazy. Yeah. It's, it's pretty awesome. So like you'll link, I don't know, I'm linking to small leather working tools and stuff like that, but I've seen. I think I had like a, a thousand dollar camera bought and I got a cut of it and I didn't link to it at all. Like, and it's not a huge cut, but you, it adds up too. And yeah, depending on how many views per video and how many clicks, that's yeah. a, Do you think that that can be abused at all? Cause now I'm just thinking like, why wouldn't you, like, why wouldn't somebody, you know, just go click that link 24 hours, then they go place it or like, is that and, and they could, but the like each individual sale is such a small cut that it just it wouldn't be viable at okay, all. Okay, like, so it's not scalable upwards. Yeah, like I think it's under ten percent. Like right. it, it's your friend would it would have to be a good friend buying a lot of stuff to make you any money that way. <laughs> it just seems like it would be a good strategy of like why why not like there's an upside to you and they're supporting something good and they're going to buy the products anyways. Yeah. I don't know. It's just in my mind, I was like, why wouldn't you do that? Yeah. It, it would work. I, I would say like, if you're, if you're buying something that you saw from uh, uh, someone on YouTube, I would say if you support that person, maybe go click their link and, and buy it and give them a little cut of it. Cause it, it costs you nothing. Like as the person buying it, it costs you nothing extra. Would they even know? Like, does the average person even realize? Not at all. It's, they just, they are just literally Amazon links in your description. And you're like, hey, you should buy this if you want it. And you, Amazon shares their cut with you. You don't pay anything extra for it. That's so interesting. Yeah. And so you like that route better than the, the other path? Uh, I, I do. Like, I don't want my videos to be full of ads. I, I don't mind a few ads on there. Like, that's how I'm able to keep putting them out. But this way is kind of like offering up something to someone that you think they would like anyway, and they have a decision, like they can decide, oh, I'll buy that or I won't. But it really costs them nothing extra. It doesn't even cost them any time sitting, waiting through a non-skippable ad or anything, right? They can be like, oh, that thing's cool. I want to buy it. Click on my link. Hey, I get an extra dollar that day. Like it's, yeah. I don't I like that model. The downside for... It is, there's a lot of crap on Amazon and it's, 
sometimes the stuff that I would want to recommend, I'll have to recommend from a site that I don't get affiliate sales from. Oh, okay. Just to keep the authenticity. Yeah, like, uh, there's obviously, like, the better tools and stuff that I use aren't on Amazon, and then I got to just give them the link and not make any money on it, but... yeah. That's interesting. And so where do you think that this is going to go over time? Do you hope to like eventually one day move away from your work or are you happy just keeping it a part-time thing? Where, where does that come in for you? Um, I, I think I'm pretty happy keeping it a part-time thing. I, like we said earlier, I don't really want it to turn into like a job. Yeah. I, I enjoy making leather things and I enjoy making YouTube videos. So I think if I stopped enjoying those, then I wouldn't be happy doing it in my free time. Yeah. Um, right now, especially with switching to YouTube, I can make whatever leather things I want and then I can just kind of spin it into a video. Like <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's nice where I'm not stuck making 30 of the same thing right before Christmas. Yeah. That was, that must've been a crazy experience. <laughs> So what do you think for other people who are like, they maybe paint or they're working on something? Like, what would your advice be to somebody who's like, because like I've met people who are like, I want to be a personal trainer. And my mindset is like, that's great. But how can you monetize this on YouTube? And the reason I lean there is, again, because it's it's scalable. You don't have to be there all the time. And that's part of why I like podcasts is mm-hmm. I like hit post and then I go and do the rest of my day and people tune in and they listen and they're able to hear a good quality conversation. Maybe they're not getting that in their personal life. Maybe they're not getting the support they need. They can tune in, feel connected to a community and then like have a better day. And so there's a benefit that I don't have to be there to do it. And so that's why I recommend if you're doing personal training, if you if you like cooking, figure out a way to share that with people and show your passion through that route. So what would your what would your thoughts be on somebody thinking of going down this path? Um, everything. There's room for everything on YouTube. Like there's people on there vlogging their day going grocery shopping and making like a ton of views. Like if you have anything that you just want to share with people, just start making videos, especially personal training. That's huge on YouTube. But like, just if you think you have any kind of message you want to get out there, I would just start making videos. And if you, if you don't make money on it, like if you don't ever learn the YouTube thing, but you enjoy doing it, then at least you found something you enjoy doing. If you affect a couple people positively, then at least you've done something, but it's, uh, it's a grind, but it's fun. There's and I think there's room for pretty much everyone on there. I agree. And I think that there's just an opportunity to learn something about yourself through the process. What has that been like for you? Because you're talking about how you don't really have a personality. <laughs> and I, I don't agree with you because I think you just have like a style that's so, um, it's like fitting. You wouldn't want, I, I don't think I'd want somebody who's like um, into, how did you describe it at the beginning of our conversation? You called it like your... Like old school, um, what did you call it? Heritage. (laughs) Yeah, something like that. I don't think you'd want somebody who's like chatty or like too energetic. It's good that it's coming from like a source like yourself. So what has that been like for you? What have you learned about yourself through doing this? Um, I like, I just don't have like this like energetic, uh, I'm not naturally super energetic and, and bubbly and, I found that uh, early early on, 
I was having like a super monotone, like I, my first uh, bad comment on YouTube was actually a good one. My first negative con comment on YouTube was I would rather watch toenails grow than watch you. And, <laughs> and it was actually pretty funny, but I, um, I went back and watched the video and he, dude was spot on. He was kind of a dick, but he was, his message was accurate. <laughs> and, um, so I just, that's the main thing I've been working on and found is that I wasn't really putting the energy out there. Like it's almost like you have to put out more on camera than you would in person. Yeah. And I do the bare minimum in person. <laughs> so I've been kind of working on that and it's still, that's a big struggle for me is just being energetic and happy and bubbly on camera is not really uh, <laughs> who I am. <laughs> Yeah, I had a, my first negative comment was like, you're, you're posting like way too much and not basically getting any response. And it was because I was trying to do the clips and the full interviews all together. Mm -hmm. And I was putting bare minimum into the thumbnails. And so it just looked, after he made the comment, I was like, I don't like that comment. And then I went back and looked and I was like, yeah, this isn't good. Like this needs to be addressed. And so I removed all the clips, created a separate clips channel. I really could care less about the clips channel, mm -hmm. but the the most common feedback I got was like, your videos are too long. I'm never going to sit through this. And so I was like, okay, I'll make a clips channel. I don't care about it. Mm -hmm. You can go watch it from there if you like. I'm going to focus on this because this is my favorite part of it. Yeah. And so now the clips are available. People can go watch them if they like, but I have no interest in continuing that or like trying to boost that or support yeah. that it's mainly just trying to focus on the long form conversations because i think that that's i think it's the solution to a lot of the problems we're having in our society in terms of the disconnect we feel with people uh i feel like things are more polarized i guess i don't just think that i've had like historians on who are like yeah things are not great <laughs> in our political dialogues right now so i think that it's Hopefully the solution, I've been bugging people about like, why don't we interview politicians on like podcasts? And then I was like, why aren't I? Like it's three hours. I can talk to the person and figure out where they're at on certain issues. And so I hope that I can make a positive difference through this. Yeah. And share my passion for people because I find uh, people like yourself incredibly interesting of like, how did you get started in this? Like, what is this like? And, and how where do you hope to take this? And I think that all of those conversations are so inspiring to me because I would have never thought of leather work as my passion. But when I see you doing it and breaking it down and explaining each intricate part of the process, it's like, this is way more complicated than you realize. Like making, and I think we live in such a fast-paced society where we take for, like, for granted our clothing, our shoes, how it's made, what the process is, because we don't have to do it. And then we don't know anybody who does it. Yeah. And then we kind of forget that this is all a very complex system and that we should be grateful for it. Like even ordering like equipment, it's like it comes from Australia. Well, Australia during COVID was very difficult to get things to Canada. And like, again, you don't think about supply chains and those processes unless you're trying to do something outside of the norm. Yeah. Yeah. Did you listen to that uh, Joe Rogan podcast with Jocko Willink where he talks about the supply chain? Yeah. Um, of clothing? Yeah. Yeah crazy like the cost of the secan like 10xing since covid to yeah. bring it across from china it's crazy i think it's so i find jocko just so inspirational in that he's just a hard-working individual and he just doesn't take no for an answer and he tries to find a way and i think that that's where we get stuck in so many political dialogues or in conversations with people we get so what it needs to be this simple and yeah. i think that we 
maybe aren't appreciating the value in the hard work that it's going to take to accomplish something and the value in that. And when he was talking to Joe Rogan and was like, yeah, like there is a way, like this is possible. The idea that you can't make something for less in America is just that can't be true. And then he's proven it. He's proven it every step of the way. I think he makes pants now, shoes, sweaters. He makes a whole line of clothing Mm -hmm. that's more affordable and like has more benefits to their economy than shipping it off to China. Oh, absolutely. I um I brought you something. Oh. That. But I wanted to give it to you on camera, so. Thank you. Yeah, I know you're uh up and coming lawyer, right? I am, yes. Yeah. So that is the logo. I love it if you can see that. I think that you've done a tremendous job on when each video starts that. Oh, thank you. Intro. I think it's like incomparable to other videos I watch. So I that intro, so cool. I literally paid $5 on like a website just to do it. It's just, but even the sound effects, did it come with the sound yeah. effects? Cause it was just so like, yeah, it came, I don't know how to came describe as, it. as is. Okay. Look at that. Look at just the, the, what would you call that? I want to call it rope. It's, I think it's rope. Okay. Twine, We're going to call it rope. My, my wife found that. Found it like in the house or uh, like, well, like found that it existed and then found some in the house. I think <laughs> this is so cool though, because like everything lines up, like the branding is real guys. Oh my gosh. Okay. So walk me through how you made this. So I, like, what's the pro like, look at this. So I kind of figured that you'd need a business card holder. Um, yes, but it feels so. Yeah, it'll it'll soften up. So so the leather is is by Horween Leather, who I think they're one of one of only a couple um, tanneries left in the United States. Yeah, they're out of Chicago. They're probably my favorite leather, and it's like I could go on about leather like longer Please. than my my wife uh, <laughs> would like. But um, the Horween leather is probably my favorite. It's they, Horween. They what make, does that mean? It's literally one of the founders' names. Okay. Um, I think they started in 1905, I want to say, in Chicago. So they've been around over 100 years. And, and s- Sorry, can we just double check? What is leather made out of? It, that's a, that's a, it can be made out of any kind of animal skin. That one's cow. Interesting. And so is there preferences? In, I'm sure there is in the leather community of like, like this feels so different than I think my phone case is hypothetical leather. Leather. Yeah, prob- probably. There's um, there's a whole bunch of different grades of leather, and and it can be like any kind of animal. So this is, uh, I can't really remember the exact leather that is, but that'll be vegetable tanned leather by Horween. Right. Um, there's generally two types of tannages. There's vegetable and chrome tanned leather. That okay. Ve- vegetable tanned leather is the more natural they make um a, a liquid that i think they call it liquor and it's just made with like oils and saps and leaves and all kinds of their oh, like wow. proprietary liquor that they soak it in to tan it um it takes anywhere i think it takes from a month to three months to tan leather that way it's generally more expensive but it's uh, a higher quality product right Whereas uh, the other one's a chrome tanned leather, which is uh, tanned with chromium salts, and it takes under a week. It's really fast. Um, it makes 
I wouldn't say it's worse leather. It's different though. Okay. It's generally softer. Uh, it's generally more weatherproof. Um, a lot of people don't like the, I think there's some pollutant issues with the chrome tanning process. I think it's gotten a lot better, but there's zero polluting issues with the vegetable tan leather. So there and is, this is the vegetable tan. That's the vegetable tan. This is so cool. So that's a bit stiffer. The chrome tan is a bit softer. Um, the chrome tan's a little more weather resistant. The veg tan soaks up water and anything like crazy. So it's, they have their places. But. Okay. So is this, this is your preferred? Um, yeah. For, for most things, I do have some chrome tan leather at home just for like, it's good for bags and stuff like that. Do you have a lot of like clothing that you wear and like stuff that you have now as a consequence that you wear that is leather? I, is it I, more than the average person? Clothing wise, I don't, I do have a lot of leather boots now. Um, and actually, uh, after seeing all the horween, my wife actually got, um, there's a boot brand called Thursday boots out of their New York and they make a horween pair of boots. So my wife has horween, uh, boots by Thursday now and they're gorgeous. They're really nice boots. Interesting. Is it made out of this or the, uh, it's something similar to that. I think there's like in tannages of leather, there's. Chrome tan and there's vegetable tan and then there's like a million things in between. So, right. so Hormine has their fancy one they call Chrome XL, which is kind of a hybrid of the two. Interesting. Yeah. And so how do you go about like, how did, how does this come when you purchase like a large quantity? How does that, what oh, is that process? I, I can, uh, I can show you pictures, but it's, I, it comes as I get them as half sides. So just think a side of cow. So they take the skin off as a full cow and split it down the middle and sell them as sides usually. What is the delivery process for this? <laughs> it's, 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 it rolls up nicely, so it's just like a long cardboard box. Okay. Um, yeah, I get them shipped from Saskatchewan from a, a supplier called OA Leather Supplies, and they that guy's awesome. Um, it's expensive, but less expensive than you'd think probably to buy a whole side of leather. Yeah. I think, uh, I think the Horween's about... $300 Canadian per side. So, but it's, it's like cows are big animals. It's like 20 square feet of, uh, of leather, right? Yeah. So. And then, so what is the process to turn it into something like this? What is the, the journey? Do you have, do you like have a plan when you're purchasing where you're like, this is what I want to use it for? Or is it just like, I'm going to get it and we'll figure it out. It's kind of half and half. Like sometimes they'll release something that looks pretty cool. And then you're like, Oh, I just need that for something. We'll, we'll find a place for it later. Um, but I, I kind of like the like old school looking stuff. So I stick to, I've mainly like browns and blacks and it's, yeah, I just wanted to have the like heritage looking style. I don't want anything too flashy. Yeah. Yeah. Do they come in different do they come in all colors? Because this this inside, like this, looks more. I would say like cork. I, I don't know how to describe it properly. But <laughs> I would say it's more cork. And then the outside, just like what is the process to like stitch this? Because it's so, it's so, it takes it's, a lot of detail. Yeah. So it's it starts with just like a sheet of leather. I have like templates that I've made you you can download and buy free templates like i give my templates out for free so other people do my templates i like to make my own that's kind of part of the whole thing to me so i try not to make other people's but um i just put for that i printed out a thing put it down on the leather 
I tape it down, cut print, out the print, shape. Print just in the regular yeah, printer? Yeah, just okay. print it out. I do actually have a 3D printer, and I and I print out some templates that I can use over and over again. Right. And that you would just, like, hold them down, and then you have, like, a – it's called an awl, and it's just, like, a pointed tool, and you just scratch it out. and then. But that I printed out on paper and just put it on top and then just cut it out. And it's it's exactly what you think. You cut it out glue the pieces on top, and then you just make a stitching line and stitch it up. But you also have, like, an emblem for people who... Oh, yeah. Which is a black leather flag. <laughs> I do. that. That's actually... So one of the things that I tried to do is I, I first try to support um, anything, like, local or Canadian. Right. When, I, when I source my leather, it comes from Saskatchewan, and, and anything I can get locally, I do. Um, there's also another good leather store in North Van called Lonsdale. Um, but after that, I try to support small guys. So that stamp is actually a, uh, a guy that I met on Instagram out of Russia and he was making all kinds of brass, um, like leather stamps. He also makes like custom etched coins and buttons and stuff like that. So I was talking to him and then I had him do that one up for me and send it over. So that's just like a dude, in his basement with like a little CNC machine making uh, leather stamps. And I thought that was pretty cool. How does it work? Do you just like, do you have to heat it up? What is the process? So, yeah. So again, there's like differences. So if you have the chrome tan leather, then yeah, you probably have to heat it up because it won't take, it's kind of like leather's kind of like a sponge. The chrome tan leather is like a dry sponge and the veg tan is a little bit moister. Right. So with that one, if you just, imprinted it on chrome tan it would just bounce back out but if you heated it up it would stay right on the vegetable tan leather you just like that you just get it wet a little bit and then um stamp it i use some guys hit it with a hammer i use um i have a it's an arbor press for setting uh ball bearings and i don't know what that is it's like it's uh just like a two-ton press and it has a lever and you just oh push down you just yeah pull the lever and it puts some force into it and imprints it yeah that's so crazy to my brain and so how does leather work because i've heard things that like it gets stronger or it gets better over time yeah (laughs) the patina (laughs) is that what it's called (laughs) yeah so it's like i said it's kind of like a sponge so it absorbs everything oils from your skin oil so it kind of like develops its own unique look over time right it'll uh i know it feels pretty stiff now it'll soften up good too but yeah it'll it just kind of changes it should that should outlast you like (laughs) it's um the way it's stitched up like the stitching method is called a saddle stitch that's how you put a saddle together no way so i mean for a wallet that you should be able to like pass that on to your kids at some point if you want it like it shouldn't uh like some of these leather things last like 100 years so that's amazing. Yeah. I really appreciate this. This is so unique. I have uh, a card holder that's made out of metal. It's crap. It's uh, <laughs> got it off of Amazon for like $8. I think I have one of those. <laughs> yeah. And so it's so unique to have something like this. And I'm definitely going to rep it and be very proud to make videos with it and be proud to own something made some by somebody in our community who found his passion and is choosing to share it. What else do you enjoy making? Like, what are things that are on your radar that you enjoy sharing um, with people? I really like the wallets. Um, I've made, what have I been making recently? I've been making like a longer wallet, almost like a girl's clutch kind of thing. That's kind of fun to make. Um, 
I have like, I'm trying to, like I said, I like to do my own designs. So I'm trying to design a duffel bag for myself. Like a gym bag? Yeah, yeah. sort of like a big, I don't know what you would call it, but like a, like an old school, like just a big cylindrical yeah. kind of thing. Almost like maybe like a military duffel kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like making just anything like old school. man. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're making it, is it usually just for yourself or do you have like a purpose for it? How does, how do you go about deciding what's going to be next in terms of like what makes sense? Or do you just have like a lot of leather wallets at home? <laughs> I, I do. I have a drawer full of them, um, in, in different, uh, like levels of quality, like starting from the first ones I've made. Actually, I have the first wallet I made is on my YouTube set up on the wall. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and I keep it there. I was going to get like a, I think I might get a shadow box thing to put it in, yeah. but, um, I pretty much just kind of think of what I want to make. Uh, I usually make a prototype, which involves like a lot of just, I have a roll of leather that was pretty cheap from another local le leather place called Tandy. Um, but it's like cheap, not greatest quality leather that I kind of use for like prototyping. And I just make measurements on it, cut something out. And then as long as I keep track on paper of all my measurements, then I can put it into, I use Inkscape, which is like Adobe Illustrator. Yeah. And then I can make a template after the fact. And then I will print that and make kind of the finished copy of it. So I, I usually end up with like four each template, probably at least three products per one, like one really bad one in the crappy leather. And then one that I've made like the first version after making the template and then the final one from doing the YouTube video with it. Right. And then it's, it's kind of a mixed bag. I've, I've given some away. Uh, I've sold a couple of them online or I, uh, Sometimes I just, I kind of cater my videos to who has a birthday coming up. <laughs> That's a good idea. So yeah, like, uh, my family gets a lot of leather goods as birthday presents. <laughs> I think that that's like a good way to go though, because you're like, you could look at it like you're just selling like what you make. But to me, it's like you're showing your passion for something. And I, I think we need to do a better job of appreciating that of like somebody's putting in like a lot of work to learn something. Like you're talking about the process of like going on Adobe to like actually using like a first kind of project to actually developing the final. That's a lot of work. And yeah. so if you respect your time, if you appreciate the time you're putting into it, then that is far more effort than going to save on foods and buying like a box of chocolates. Yeah. Like that's way more thoughtful to go through that process. And I think sometimes it's easy to simplify and think like, cause people have made like jewelry or like certain items for me. And I go like, I really appreciate this more because I understand the work that you had to put into to make something like this. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think we get stuck kind of like, Oh, well you're already making this stuff. So it must be super easy. And it's like, it's not easy. And they're showing you the passion and something like this, as you said, is going to last a really long time. And I can't go to the store and buy the exact same thing somewhere. This, this is not like replicatable in that way. And I think, that's really inspirational and I I don't I wonder how you feel do you think we're going in the right direction when we're talking about like buying local because I hear that more and then Amazon being the biggest company in like the world right now I that, like we go back and forth between the two it, it's a tough uh, there has to be some balance I think because like you have to live within your means too mm -hmm. so buying local just all isn't always feasible yeah. like if you're if you're buying local you're paying more to be honest and and your money's going somewhere better probably 
but there has to be some balance there. Like, is everybody going to go buy like a couple hundred dollar, like fancy leather wallet when you can do, you can make do with an elastic band. Like you, you just have cards now for the most part. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I like to buy local when I can, but I don't feel bad if I don't, it's some things. Amazon subscriptions have changed my life, man. I couldn't agree more. I think we underestimate. And like, that's where I think I get weird about like people being so mad at corporations Mm -hmm. is because at the end of the day, there's a lot of benefits. Oh yeah. And I think we like to, I don't know. It's like we almost ignore the benefits and then we just talk bad about corporations. A lot of people don't like Jeff Bezos, but it's like, you think about what he did. Like oh, yeah. His whole process for developing Amazon was his mindset was like, if we don't do this ourselves, then like we need to bring it in-house and we need to do it better than the competition. And he did that forever. Like he bought Ring and Ring was like a better tool for him building Amazon. And mm-hmm. it was a tool for him to continue his main goal. And so everything he did was in addition to it. And that strategy has paid dividends that we can't even like quantify. Like the guy's worth like getting close to a trillion dollars. Like yeah. this person's very successful because they had a strategy that they stuck to. He wasn't just like a bad guy. Yeah. I, I think people don't like people that make a lot of money is, is what it is. Yeah. And I don't know if you, uh, if you like Elon Musk, I feel like he deserves every single penny that he has. I agree. Everything he does is amazing. Yeah. But, and he's brave. Like I find him to be the, one of the most mm -hmm. courageous, like, and you can disagree. Like I, I was talking to my partner about this last night. It's crazy how often we have to say, I don't agree with everything he says. Like I hear that so often now. And it's like, whenever do you agree with something a hundred percent of what somebody says? Like at the end of the day, we have different perspectives and that's supposed to make an interesting conversation. It doesn't like remove that. I've had, it's, it's been challenging because I've had people on who I know lean left and I know lean right. And I see the value in both viewpoints, Mm -hmm. but I've had people on one side go, I can't believe you interviewed that person. And then people from the other side go, I can't believe you spoke to that person. And I had to unfriend you on Facebook for that. And it's like, I'm having on both perspectives. I believe both are necessary and both have a role to play in our society. Yeah. It's just crazy to me that that's, but I think you're right about the people do not like rich people. No, (laughs) you don't have to like agree with everything that everyone says. Like, the tribalism thing where people get all amped up because someone doesn't agree with them. Like you and I should be able to disagree on absolutely everything and sit in this room and have a totally civil conversation. Like it shouldn't matter. I couldn't agree more. I think that one of the interesting things that you're sort of seeing though, is like people are envious. And I think that that's, that's why I was interested when, when I asked about like, do you find people are supportive? Because I feel like the majority of people are supportive but there are a few people I've come across who've been like, yeah, that's pretty cool. And you can see in their demeanor that there's a part of them was like, you shouldn't be doing that. You should be going back to your job and you should play it safe and you should do it how I did it. Or you should do it how I think you should have done it. And like, yeah. there's this feeling of like, you shouldn't figure out what your passion is. And uh, it was Camden Hutchison, who was a, a law professor that I had on, and he was talking about how we live in a monoculture. And I was thinking about that in comparison to the States, because they have a huge right-left mm-hmm. kind of imbalance. But in Canada, it's like, you just 
go along. You tell whatever the party line is or whatever the, the common view is. And if you pop your head up a little bit, you're way more likely on all sides to get attacked mm -hmm. than, than anything else. And I think that that's really interesting because it's like we don't want anyone to stand out too much. And mm -hmm. I think that that's really unfortunate because we're all going to shine in different ways. And you see Elon, it's like that person is not like I don't agree with how he lives his life in a lot of ways, but I'm not, I didn't make Tesla, so I cannot complain yeah. or think that I could have done it better with my kind of mindset. Oh, yeah. He's, I don't know. He, he's kind of out there. Well, he's definitely out there. But he, the, the dude's amazing and, and his intentions from what I see here are positive. Do you have any thoughts on what's going on with him and Twitter and, and what he's trying to do there? Have you been keeping up with I don't that? know what he's doing with Twitter. Have you not heard anything about it? No. Oh, he bought 9.2% uh, of Twitter. Um, and then he was going to go on to their board of directors. And the board of directors was going to invite him on. But then he realized that he was not going to be able to have the same... Um, attitude this he wasn't able to voice himself the same way and so instead he's decided to try and just take over twitter and so he gave twitter an offer of uh i want to say 40 or 50 billion dollars just to buy all of twitter and so now twitter has taken what's called a poison pill which means they're going to dilute their shares for um make it more affordable for their other shareholders to buy shares to reduce Elon's stake in Twitter because they don't want Elon to take it over. And then I think, it, I want to say it's Goldman Sachs or there's another company that's working on potentially trying to outbid Elon for owning all of Twitter. That's and interesting. So there's crazy war going on right now over the ownership of Twitter and how it's managed and stuff. That's interesting. Yeah. So it's interesting to see somebody who's just like, just pulls the trigger on things. Like we don't usually things, whenever we think of like getting something done in the city, in the provincial government, federal government, it's like, okay, well, we're going to have a subcommittee that deals with this. And then it's going to go to the committee. Then it's going to go to the head committee. Then it's going to be heard by the prime minister or something like that. Mm -hmm. Elon's like, I'm going to buy Twitter. Yeah. Just like on a whim. Yeah. If it, well, if anyone could, it would be him. Yeah, I don't. Have you heard of the PBD podcast or Valuetainment at all? No. Okay, he's uh, he was on Joe Rogan, and uh, I find him really interesting because he's sort of in this field. I enjoy business. I enjoy law. I enjoy hearing about like um, the bee podcast was really like uh, I interviewed Paul Van Westendorp, and we talk about bees for like three hours. That's cool. And it was super crazy because I didn't realize that uh, like bumblebees um, they're thicker so that they can connect, get pollen and stuff. I'm going off track, but um, <laughs> going back to my point is this: there's this guy. Patrick Bet, Patrick David Bet, I think, and uh, he does this podcast on business. He interviews various people, um, and one of the people he was talking to, he was like, he thinks that Elon is eventually going to try and take over Twitter, and then he's probably going to try and buy something like CNN, and he's going to move out of Tesla and move into the entertainment. Mm -hmm. And it was just a super interesting idea that Elon would go that direction. Yeah. Well, he's even said that he has, like he does almost nothing in the day-to-day -day operations of Tesla anymore. Yeah. Like it's, it's run for him. Like he said a few times that he wants to move on to something else. But he has like the boring company. He has, what is it? The Neuralink. The Neuralink thing's exciting. I'm, uh, I've been following that. Oh no. See, okay. Tell me about that. Cause you probably know more than I, I just know that you plug something in the back of your ass. Yeah. That, so I know that he wants to start by making it like a medical device. He claims that he'll be able to, uh, cure a lot of, um, like spinal cord based paralysis, um, by like. I don't know, somehow reconnecting everything 
Um, so they're starting medically. He also says that it should be able, if it works the way they think it should be able to cure Alzheimer's. Um, once they kind of move past all of that there, I think they're hoping then to make it like available to everybody. It should be able to improve like memory. And he said like right down to the point where you could like technically like live forever. Like you could download yourself and re upload yourself and then you get into some serious ethical grounds there. But yeah, it's, I don't know. Pretty exciting. I'm, yeah. I'm exciting to see where he goes. He says there should be some implementation of it within the next 10 years, he figures. so. Yeah, I'm always skeptical of Elon's timelines because what did I he say too. about the, the Roadster? He said he was going to have like that shipped out yeah. a few years ago now and we still don't have a Roadster. Exactly. Or the Cybertruck, which is super interesting. I'd buy one of those Cybertrucks. Uh, I, I have a buddy who um, bought the, uh, like has a spot in line. Actually, the my leather buddy from Langley he has the uh he paid the deposit on it so oh my gosh because it wasn't that much was it it was like a couple hundred dollars like it wasn't like it, it's a couple hundred dollars but it's non-refundable so it's brilliant startup cash for him yeah because you just pay him that money and then right off the bat he has all this cash to do with whatever with it that was the other thing i just heard about him doing as well which was um he's trying to create another class of shares to raise more money for tesla because it, it seems like the big problem they're having now is that the other car companies are starting to catch up to them and they're starting to mm. develop like I, th- I think it was just volvo it looks just like the tesla oh, really? uh, the, the tesla suv yeah just volvo and so they're catching up and yeah. their manufacturing speeds are far better than tesla's because tesla started from nothing to mm-hmm. being a car manufacturer and i think they're shipping out like a million teslas which is really good but when you think of all the other car manufacturers they've caught up and they're going to start beating out tesla oh yeah and so he needs to raise more money so he can start making more Teslas. And that was one of the strategies. And so people are frustrated because he's not creating the the value. He's just creating more shares. Mm-hmm. And so there's a, a distrust in that, that you're not – share value should be based on the, what, what you're producing. You're making more of something. You're creating a better benefit. Yeah. And the argument with Elon is that he's pushed up the price of the Tesla stock just by creating more shares of it, not by creating more value. The counterpoint would be like, how do you value something like Tesla? Like it's not, like you can't just say that it's worth this. It's what the market's willing to pay. And so that's somewhat arbitrary in the sense that if people are willing to pay, then it's worth that amount based on the market's response. And then you get into a whole discussion of how complex capitalism is and how these class structures work. But those are the things I find really interesting is when there's like strategies and there's opportunities for growth. And when somebody sets that kind of example, it's just, I can't disagree with the the final outcome of like you've built something like tesla that's pushed car manufacturers who said they weren't going to go electric that they were hesitant and hybrid cars were kind of the move Mm -hmm. and he just disproved all of that and that he's made tesla's vehicles more safe um i don't know if you know about all the doodads in there but like he was explaining in one interview that if you get hit by a car in a tesla now basically it's safer not to wear a seatbelt. i heard that and that, like the airbag system will know where you are and will mm-hmm. like react better than a seatbelt would just keep you in the seat. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, I heard that too. It was crazy. I probably still keep putting my seatbelt on, but <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's just crazy to think about with those type of people and the fact that they just put in a lot of work over time and stayed true to their values. Like I think that's this the example. He's like, if you want to draw something from what he did, it's to figure out what it is for you and just 
stay true to it and mm-hmm. don't waver. Just keep going because he's been really good at not listening to naysayers. Yeah. Well, like if he's being genuine, like what he said was the whole purpose of Tesla was not to make this huge, like the biggest electric car company. It was to kind of force the hand of everybody else to start making electric cars. And if that's truly what he was aiming to do, he's done it. Yeah. Yeah, it's the same with uh, going to Mars, is that, like, his point isn't that, like, Mars is cool, it's that we just need a plan B for this planet. And it's been really interesting because my partner leans towards, like, let's just fix the planet. Mm-hmm. And I totally hear all of those arguments of, like, let's stop destroying forests, let's stop... Um, I don't know if you... Uh, I interviewed uh, Lee, Lee Harding, and he talks about how we just literally shoot wolves from planes and then just fly away. It's like, there's got to be a better way to reduce wolf populations than just yeah. machine gunning them from, like, helicopter. Like, I can't imagine being the person there and, like, doing that to an animal and then just flying away. Like, I feel like that's... You have to, like, do something to your soul in, in order to be willing to do yeah. that. But they do the same thing with, uh, with the wild pigs in the southern U.S. Yeah. Where they're feral there yeah but i don't know they're they're like rampant there though. they are yeah it's, like in it's worse here, than the wolves here yeah it's like the wolves are like a problem but like we could send up some people that would bring them back down to a manageable amount like mm-hmm. i don't know i don't think that that's the best path but when we, like i hear the argument for fixing things here yeah but we do need a plan b like we um there was one interview where they were talking about how many meteors go past earth every year and it's like it's like a lot Mm -hmm. that could hit us Mm -hmm. that we have no plan to prevent that we don't even know sometimes they're coming if the sun's in the right spot we don't even know that it's coming and Mm -hmm. then it flies past us and we go hey a meteor just flew past isn't that like we're very unprepared for a cataclysmic event and i think that it is important that we have some sort of plan b because right now it's like we have like what eight ten people in a space station and they're completely reliant on being able to come back to earth that's not really a good plan yeah it'd be bad news for them if one of those things struck yeah and can you imagine sitting up there for three months and being like running out of food and being like we can't go back to earth because it's this on fire yeah and that's it and you're just waiting super sketchy i wonder how long they can stay up there without assistance from anyone yeah it's probably not very long like yeah i guess it would have to be like up to six months but if there's no plan on earth improving in six months it's like you're just kind of like waiting oh yeah that is very depressing and i'm very grateful (laughs) that we have people like jeff bezos (laughs) elon musk working on a plan b because i think we just sort of take that for granted that this is um it seems like our generation doesn't really feel like we're gonna pass away or die like there's this Mm -hmm. sort of like immortal mentality that people have now like what were your thoughts during the floods because that's how i felt was like oh, our supply chains are not good. They're not as strong as we'd like them to be, and we are not prepared for the circumstance. And going shopping that first day while the floods were occurring was like, oh, and, like, we're, like, in a competition now. Like, we're not all friends anymore. We're now, like, the shelves are now empty because we're trying to fill our homes. That was kind of crazy, actually. I, I, I feel fortunate there were two, like great things that I did that weren't intentional at all. But, um, I had just before the floods, I had just done a huge Costco shop. So that was good. And then also I have this, uh, a buddy of mine who is like, uh, kind of like a prepper type and he had been preaching it to me for years. And just before that I was like, well, couldn't be the worst thing to get some like non-perishable stuff. 
So I had gone and got a whole bunch of like pasta and canned things. And then the flood struck and I was like, we had tons of food that like that didn't even affect us. It was total chance, but I heard the stores were chaos and we didn't have to go to them at all. Yeah. It was awesome. So there is like, I've kind of rethought emergency preparedness. I think that is uh <laughs> that, that is an important thing. It's like, something people don't think about until uh, all of a sudden you need something. And then now you have to mob the stores with everyone. That was another weird thing because people were like getting, th- there were like two schools of thought. There was the only buy the essentials. And then there were the people who were like, no, I'm going to take care of my family and make sure that I have food in the house. So I'm going to buy more. And like, again, it's one of those, like, there isn't a wrong answer. If you think that there's a correct answer, you're probably wrong because that's yeah. crazy to think that like, um, if you run out of food, you are kind of in like a chaos state. Yeah. And so you want to have enough food to take care of your family. And at the end of the day, those are your people. Mm-hmm. The random person in the grocery store is not your people. And so like there is like, again, that balance of like, how do you approach those situations? Yeah. And it's good that you were prepared. You were sending me videos as well, though, right? Of the water coming up. Yeah. we. Uh, so I live right on, right on the river there. Um, luckily, I live... Um, right where it's kind of the highest point on the dike and not like just outside of the flood zone in the flats there. And then there's also the like secondary dike where they, um, where the fish run right alongside. So it, uh, it came pretty high up, but it didn't get too sketchy for us. It was like probably within three feet of the top of the dike though, which is like, normally you have to walk down the dike and down onto the rocks and stuff. Like it was probably up like 15 or 20 feet. I would imagine it, yeah. it was crazy. It was, were you at all nervous or a little nervous? Yeah. Um, a little nervous for some friends of ours. We had some friends in Yarrow that had to evacuate, but all their stuff was fine as well. It was, yeah, it was, it was super weird and it's weird being cut off. Like we were, we were an Island. We were cut off from Vancouver and, and as well from the rest of Canada. So, I felt like that was not reported on the way I thought it was going to be like, we're an island. And my, my uncle was like, oh, you're like cut off. And I was like, yeah, like we can't go to Abbotsford. We can't go to Hope. We're just stuck here. And he was like, I had no idea. And it's like, this is crazy. (laughs) It's, you know, what was kind of funny is I, um, I, I kind of just like posted about that a little bit on my like social media and like on YouTube and stuff. And the amount of support you get from like the community that you make yeah. was crazy. Like people that have never met me, like from the vast majority of my uh, viewers are from the United States and I got so much support from them. And then even the guy that made the stamp there reached out to me from Russia and, and chatted with me for a bit. Like it's pretty crazy how you can, you make your own community. I remember talking to uh, Tim McAlpine, who runs Cowork Chilliwack, and he said something similar. He's like, all my support is, like, I work with credit unions in the U.S., so, like, I'm really well-known in the U.S., and then, like, I'm in Chilliwack, and most people don't know what I, when I say, like, I work for currency marketing and we work on marketing credit unions, nobody knows what I'm talking about, and they're usually starting to tune out. It's so interesting to have these communities of people, because I'll get comments from people that I don't know, um, like, 30 to 40% of my listeners come from the United States and I don't know all of them, but when they reach out or when they comment, it's like, this is so, it's cool. It's bananas. It's people you would never, ever meet in your life. Otherwise. Yeah. It's, I don't know. The internet's amazing. I love it. Yeah. I, do you think that we underestimate that? I was thinking about this last night is like, 
it seems like we're very hyper-focused on the flaws of social media and the internet, but it feels like we're not, like, like one of the things I said in the Fraser Valley panel event was, like, we're not, like, acknowledging that the internet is now in indigenous communities, and so if they want to learn about finance, leatherwork, if they want to find a passion, all they have to do is hop on YouTube. Now, granted, most people use Facebook and they go online and they talk about their day, yeah. but like the opportunities are now endless. Like you can go and hear from some of the most wealthy people. Like there are videos with Warren Buffett. You can go listen to his thoughts on things. Yeah. And again, whether you agree with him or not, or you think he was fair or a hundred percent ethical, you can disagree, but you can go hear from one of the most wealthy people yeah. who made money on the stock market. And you can just do that all day long and you can learn about finance and like, I feel like we don't talk about that. No. I I feel like people are so scared of, like, anything negative. Like, one, they don't want to listen to someone that they disagree with or they don't, like, take criticism well. That I feel like people just kind of, like, jump right down people's throats instead of hearing them out. Or, like, like you said earlier, we were talking about our first negative comments on YouTube. Well, like, most... I can say probably almost all the negative comments I've got on YouTube were like horrible delivery. Like someone just obviously trying to be a dick and, and cut me down. Yeah. But if you get to like the root of what they're saying, there is a, still a message there. Yeah. And if you can like take the criticism and then, then delete the stupid comment. Cause yeah. they, cause they are just being dumb, but there's, there's some truth to all of those. And even like in like normal life, someone being a dick to you, they, they need to find something to criticize to to take a jab at you. And if you can get to that, you can kind of find there's there's always kind of a gem in there, I think. I, I agree. I would not have improved my YouTube channel the way that I did if it wasn't for that negative comment because they gave me a perspective that I needed. Like, mm -hmm. that's, I think, probably one of the, I don't know if you feel the same way. One of my biggest challenges is that, like, getting feedback. Mm -hmm. What could I do better? What am I messing up that yeah. I could stop messing up if you just told me? Most people are like, oh, these are great. And it's like, I appreciate that. That's, obviously, I don't want to hear that I'm an idiot and I'm wasting all my time. Yeah. But if you can tell me what I'm, what I could do better, then I would try and do that. Well, the internet's amazing for that. That was something that I've like talked about in videos too, is when I started making leather things, you would make it. And then obviously the first people you'd show are your, like your wife, your family, like your friends, whoever. And of course they're being supportive. So, Oh, it looks amazing. And those people are not the people that are going to tear apart your work, yeah. but put it online and someone will like instantly. And so like YouTube, uh, Reddit's a good one. You can post pictures and, and people tear it apart and, usually pretty like respectfully, but they'll give you a proper critique. Whereas your support network is not really who you want to go to, to tear you apart. I find. Yeah. No. Yeah. You shouldn't look for them. It's to, not their job. Yeah. They're kind of there to boost you up. Yeah. Can you tell us about Reddit? I've never used that platform. I, I love Reddit. <laughs> if there's, if there's anything that you like want to do or do like any interest, if you type it in there, there's like a sub Reddit for it like a whole group dedicated I don't know that to that thing like there's reddit and then it's just divided into a bunch of different subreddits like for each different topic and there's something for absolutely everything there, there's a podcasting one for instance right. like you, where you could go and um, talk to other podcasters as well as there's like 
three or four YouTuber ones where people critique or give tips or whatever for YouTube. Um, there's like a videography one, a cinematography one. There's, they're just communities of people and you join them based on uh, interest instead of who's in it. Like I'm not a big Facebook fan. I actually got rid of my Facebook and just have like a hidden Facebook with no friends just to get the business aspects of um, Instagram. But you can like, what I didn't like about Facebook is that you follow these people and like, you'll follow, say all of your friends. Say you have 200 friends on there. There's no way that you share every interest of your 200 friends. But if you go on Reddit, then you subscribe to an interest and it's like an old school forum. So you subscribe to those and then you just talk about like what you want to talk about. So. Oh, interesting. So it's more based on interest than like, cause they do have communities on Facebook mm -hmm. that are like supposed to be about the interest, but it's often nonsense. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I, I'm, I'm, I am in a few good Facebook groups with my like super hidden Facebook, but, um, mostly I, I try to find a community on Reddit before I try Facebook. I like it there. And so have you noticed a lot of benefits in terms of the information? Like what, what stands out to you about the, the platform? It's, is it anonymous? No, no, no. The, the anonymous ones are kind of sketchy. I would think. Right. Um, no, it's, it's not anonymous. And I like that every post, every comment, everything can be upvoted or downvoted. And basically if you go say something, dumb you'll just get downvoted till nobody sees your thing anymore interesting so it's i'm sure that gets abused somewhere but the like the weird niche topics like leather working and stuff that i'm in are pretty good communities on there i'm sure if you went into like meme ones or something like that there would be a lot more toxicity there but the one the only thing i know reddit for was uh the stock market and then messing with uh the value of stocks yeah, they could. If you like, if your community is big enough, you could easily do that. That's what they did. They yeah. did it with uh, GameStop. Um, they all agreed because um, I don't know how much you know about stocks, but they were shorting GameStop. So big mm -hmm. companies like Goldman Sachs were shorting it, basically saying that this business is likely to go out of business. Mm -hmm. And so they were voting with their money against GameStop. I'm oversimplifying, and if my law professor is listening to me, he'd be very mad. <laughs> um, but what Reddit did was if you take the risk of voting against a stock mm -hmm. when you um, short it, you're taking a huge risk. And so if the stock goes up, then you're on the hook for the difference between the two. So what GameStop or uh, what Reddit did was they saw what was going on and they saw that they were shorting GameStop. So they shot the price of GameStop upwards. So, and I think one of the hedge funds went out of business because they were shorting this one stock so much mm -hmm. that Reddit ended up bringing down like a traditional kind of business that you think knows it all yeah. and uh, had huge impact. And then there was this huge conversation about like, should re retail investors, which would be you and I, be able to do this in the stock market? Should we be able to play that role? And like anybody who's a true capitalist would say yes, because it's your money, you vote with your money, you make the call. Yeah. And But like a lot of the traditional investors were like, retail investors are not smart enough to understand what they're doing and the risks that they're taking. So we need to take these opportunities away from them that would have negative impacts on our economy. 
So it sounds like they just want to keep control of it. Yeah. 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 It was very interesting, but that's the only interaction I've really had with Reddit. I, I could see that because even like I don't know the, the kind of numbers that you need to affect the stock market, but even in like my little like leather crafting subreddit, it's still between two and 300,000 people in there. So I can only imagine that like investing ones or gaming ones or meme ones, like I bet you they can get millions of people in there. Yeah. I would think that could affect the stock market. That's very interesting. Yeah. And so I'm interested to know where you hope to take a lot of your work. Do you have like a like a plan in mind? Do you <laughs> see like where you were mentioning and if you can tell me about him from your perspective, what do you see in the I already forgot his name, but you were talking about a person that you admire and yeah. Um, what you see in the work that he's doing and you kind of see like a path, an avenue for yourself. Can you tell me about that? Yeah. Um, first, planning is probably something that I severely lack in. I'm kind of just like flying by the seat of my pants. Uh, one thing that I am planning and in, in talking with uh, my buddy who's uh, involved in a big multi-million YouTube channel, right? Um, he's talks about SEO like we were talking earlier. So I have bought a domain called howtoleatherwork.com and I'm just kind of almost making that more like a course. And I'm going to explore that avenue of having a course like separate from my brand. And obviously it'll like cross link and promote my other brand because it's still mine. But I'm going to try to kind of do like a leatherworking course to kind of get people started that way. Um. My buddy, the lead, is, is the guy that taught me. He's uh, a leather worker nearby us as well. Um, he's gone the sales route. Um, he has seen a decent amount of success in making a wallet design. And then he bought, well, he found a warehouse in the States that will uh, manufacture these. So not by hand, but they're still really nice. And then he sends them his design and then ships them a whole bunch of, uh, actually, he uses Horween leather as well. So he ships them the Horween leather. They manufacture these wallets for him. And then he actually puts them out. Uh, I think he sells via Amazon. But, and then the way Amazon works is kind of cool too, is Amazon takes on the whole shipping process and puts it, they have, uh, I think they call them fulfillment centers. Yeah. And they put them all throughout the country. And then when you buy on Amazon, it, kind of calculates where you are and the stock in the nearest fulfillment centers. And it sends it to you based on that. Yeah. So I think making something by hand, if you want to get rich making stuff by hand, it's just not going to happen. Like yeah. you need to, you need someone making it for you or you at least need machinery. The whole, like, I know people get like crapped on for like handmade and then they use machines and stuff. But if you want people to put stuff out, like it's, it's not feasible. Like yeah. leather workers that buy a sewing machine, if they call it handmade, they get crapped on by people. And it's no way. It's ridiculous. Like, because like, how do you, how would you do this other than a sewing machine? Well, it's that's like, that's hand stitched. And to make, to make one of those is to, to make that, I think that was an hour. This is a, that's a pretty easy thing, but you stitched this all yourself. Yeah. But I just assume if you if you, you should have you should have told me that that just blew my mind. <laughs> but if you use a sewing machine, then you all of a sudden go from an hour probably down to like half an hour. Like right. it's like that's that's one of the longest steps. And then think of something like a bag. 
hand stitching a bag versus using machine is it completely changes the game for you. Like, is there a benefit to leather bags in comparison to like if you were using it for like a gym bag or something? Like, is would it reduce like the scent or something? Like, is there no? no? If you're using it for a gym bag, it would probably be worse. It probably okay. absorb stuff, but it it would like it would last longer for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, it probably stink though. <laughs> so, so for like a business bag, what would be the, what would be the process? Cause like you think of like what they have at Staples, it's, it does not feel like this, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> it would, uh, for like a business bag, like a, a, a messenger bag or something like yeah. that. They're, they're kind of cool. Like they, they patina. So they kind of change and become custom to you. Like they'll, they're one of a kind, all of them. Right. Um, and they just. Yeah, it'll be like a heritage item. Like it shouldn't ever. You have to be really hard on it to to wreck it, especially if it's hand stitched. Like that's saddle stitched, so it's it's made to uh, withstand like a cowboy on a horse kind of thing. So if your uh, if your messenger bag is under that kind of stress, then you're doing something crazy with it. So do you do custom orders or do you try and avoid that? Is that like something like if listeners are listening to this and being, having their minds I, blown? I I do not want customers at this point. <laughs> I, uh, I, I might down the line, like I am working on some stuff. Um, like I said, I really like YouTube. So uh, my older brother is kind of thinking about getting into it and him and I are thinking of making a like Ben and Tim make stuff YouTube channel. Yeah. One of the things that we're making is a big tabletop laser cutter. Right. And that would, um, stop me from having to hand cut everything. It would laser cut everything out. Just like, is that hard to make it to cut it? Oh no, it's like, it's, it's me and an exacto knife. So it takes time because cutting out every piece, whereas you can set up a laser and it'll just kind of go. That seems like you would require strength though. Right. To, the poor yeah. exacto knife is yeah it's uh you you want to sharpen your tools lots and you want to uh yeah make sure uh all of your tools are up to snuff but there, there's ways around it though like um probably the most common one is there's a thing called a clicker press which is just you buy a die which is like a it's just a piece of steel that's in the shape of your whatever parts you're cutting out right. and it's sharpened you put it on the piece of leather and then you have it's like a kind of like my arbor press but bigger right has a big plat a big flat platform that's a, i think they're usually like four to ten tons or something like that and then you just pull it and it cuts all the pieces out in like ka-chunk. oh interesting so people that are selling stuff are using that and then a sewing machine and you can cut your time down like a ton it's just making everything by hand it takes time and then people criticize the people that want to make money selling these things and buying the machinery because they're like that's not handmade but then those are the same people that won't want to pay for the time to fully hand make something yeah like (laughs) it's it's a (laughs) crapshoot because they want the fully handmade thing but they don't want to pay for it yeah that sounds like everybody i want what i want and i don't want any rules or regulations around the logic of it yeah and and then it causes like people like I I've stopped selling, but I was notorious for like undervaluing what I would sell. Like I would sell something and be like, oh, that wasn't enough money. But even like you're worried when it's like you someone asks for a price, you're like, oh, is that too much? And and I think probably 
any small business does that. I bet you everyone does that. Yeah, because when like the problem is like also if you charge what you know, like if you are confident that say something like this is worth a hundred dollars in terms of the work that it takes, yeah. is the market gonna react or and then that's sort of your fear is that you don't want to make something and have people be like, that's too expensive and you're like, I put a lot of fucking work into this. Like, are you serious? <laughs> yeah. Well that's that's what it is. And then then you try to explain to someone like, well, this will probably last you forever, or you can buy a Walmart wallet every every year. Yeah. I th- like I think I before I started, I think I had a fossil wallet, and I think that was my longest lasting one. It was like two years before it fell apart. Can so. you tell me about a fossil? Can you compare for me what the difference between yeah this and a fossil wallet is for people yeah. who are dumb and switch off the fossil? <laughs> it's not dumb. It's just not nerdy about leather. <laughs> um, so it. They'll usually, like, if you go to Walmart or uh, any, like, big box store and see something labeled genuine leather, it's technically, right? Uh, Usually, so genuine leather is not, like, a grade term. It's a term that means this is made of leather. So so it can, it's, like, a huge, it can span the entire spectrum of quality in terms of leather. Um, But it's kind of misleading because genuine leather sounds like a good thing. But... If you see like a $10 Walmart, a $10 genuine leather Walmart wallet, it's made of leather, but it's kind of like the like particle board or OSB of, of leather. Like it's so, so this, sorry. So this is, um, they call it full grain leather. So this is the flesh side. This is the actual like cow's surface of the skin. And if you look, you can see like scars and hair follicles and blemishes and stuff like that. Like it's, it's completely like unedited. So they'll pull the, the cow, the cow's skin off and, uh, they will tan it and make these and they'll like, they'll split it into different thicknesses. Like it's pretty thick when it comes off. Um, so they'll skin off, they'll take some, bulk off of the flesh side, leaving the skin side just kind of unabridged and then tan it. So it's still one piece of skin, one piece of hide. Whereas those ones then take like whatever they've skinned off of that, whatever, like they've, they call it skiving or, or, um, splitting, whatever they've split down, they take those pieces kind of slap them together. And they usually use like a polyurethane based glue, glue it together paint the surface and then say it's genuine leather and it is, but it's bonded leather at that point, And it's really? not the same thing. You just blew my mind about like, <laughs> the, like just trying to think of this as like, this is a cow. Like again, yeah. we get so used to like how things are. Um, like people really struggle now in like convenience stores of like, Oh no, like a, an animal has to die for me to eat. And so we've gotten to this, this way of like viewing the world that like nothing is real that like we're not used to thinking of like when we get our chicken breast that's actually a chicken and so when Mm -hmm. you were like if you look at this and you start to see like the 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 parts of the animal and like the the shape and how it's like it's unique because it's literally from a cow yeah that's what i like about it like that it's you can see this character in it like I, i have pieces at home that have the brand on the cow in them like that like the brand that was in the cows. <laughs> you just wrinkled my mind. Um, 
like I, I one of the bags I made, I made it as a, a birthday present for a friend of ours and I, I made her bag and it has a brand. So she has like a, uh, what do you call it? Like, um, I forget the name of the bag. She has like a purse kind of thing yeah. and it has a big cow brand on the side of it, which is pretty cool. That is, I, I should probably mention cause a lot of leather workers get flack too. And someone listening to this might not be happy. So most of, I would say almost all, I'm sure there's some portion that isn't, but the leather that tanning, uh, that tanneries use is a byproduct of the meat industry. So they were, they are hides that would otherwise just be tossed out. That's good, and right? That's what they buy. Yeah. Isn't that a good thing? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Like they're not, it's not like they're killing an animal and taking the skin and tossing it out. It, it, the skin is the byproduct from making meat. Okay. So like it's, it's more ethically sourced is what you're saying. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure there's some exceptions to that. Like I'm sure there's some sketchy practice by some tannery somewhere that's just. Have you ever gotten flack for that? Like uh, which one is it that the vegans or the vegetarians that are against the use of. I, I would imagine both are. Wow. Um, I, I, I've got a little bit of flack, but mostly. Not from the real leather community. Just from no it, and there's like issues with vegan leather too. Like it's I didn't even know there was such a thing. Yeah, it's I think there's a couple good ones. I've I've heard there's there there's guys making or there's people making really cool wallets out of actually cork, which actually looks pretty neat. Yeah, uh, it's not obviously as durable as like an animal skin. That's literally what it's for is to protect you. So it's going to be durable. But yeah, cork looks good. I've heard there's. Um, like fake leather they're making out of cactus. That uh, would be pretty durable. Yeah. Those like cactuses are, but, but most of there's like leathers they make out of different, like, uh, fruits and fibers and stuff like that. But my understanding is it's mostly held together with glues anyways. Like it's oh. like polyurethane based. Like, so they say that it's animal free, but then they use sketchy products anyway. Right. So I don't know. <laughs> it's, uh. I'm okay using this. It's as far as I know, it's a byproduct of the meat industry Yeah, and it it lasts forever. So like you'll have that and now you're not going to buy, you know, cheaper leather over and over again every year for however long. Yeah. Not to get political, but I always get weird about the whole, the sides because like for indigenous people, we would have loved this. Yeah. Like this is not against my culture. This is right in line with like our values of sustainability using the whole body using every part of it is like the goal of indigenous culture and so it seems i don't know i always like silently sit there and go like it seems so weird that like we have like a whole community of people who are like vegans and vegetarians who are like supporting indigenous people Mm -hmm. meanwhile like our whole culture is surrounded around killing animals using the body, doing the things that like maybe they wouldn't be in support. Yeah. It always just confuses like when you have like people who support the cause indigenous people are interested in and then seeing like, well, like our values don't align and like, that's fine with me, but it's always interesting to kind of see that like typically the people who would be getting mad at you are in support of like a lot of the issues that we're trying to overcome. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I don't know. I don't know if it's like just people not, looking into the whole thing or like taking a stance before they've 
I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure either. But it always <laughs> just surprises me because it's like, oh, you're like super against most of like, you're a vegan, you're a vegetarian, you're against all these things. And then you're like, you support us. And what we would like to do is like, um, there's a bunch of communities that are working to like regain their fishing industry, grow their hunting industry. And so like all mm-hmm. these things that perhaps you would be against, you're supporting us and doing the things that you would take a stance against. Yeah. It just, it always... It like philosophically, it's confusing to like follow. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, yeah, I kind of like the idea, like just that that is like the surface of that shows like the animal's skin. It hasn't been like edited and it's. Yeah. It seems like something we're lacking in our, like, again, I I don't mean to keep saying the same thing, but like, it seems like something we're lacking Mm -hmm. in terms of like authenticity. Mm -hmm. Everything feels like it's like replicatable. And yeah. therefore it has less value. Yeah. And so when you make something that's like, there will, you could make another, but it would not be identical to this. No. And it could not be. That seems like something we should be proud of. Yeah. And it would be from a different animal. Like, like, well, I have, so I have half of that animal's hide. So someone else has the other half. Yeah. That's only going to make so many things. And then nobody else is going to have anything else from that animal ever. Like. That's the weird thing about McDonald's, right? Is like, they talk about like how many different like pieces of a cow Mm -hmm. are in your burger Mm -hmm. because they don't, it's not like this one patty is from this, this one cow. Yeah. That's what they talk about. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like the, the way these things come, like they'll come with the brand in them. So with the brand, I would be able to source the farm that it came from. And then they have on the flesh side, they have serial numbers printed. So I, I bet you that you could track down the cow that each of these things came from. Like it's, that's pretty I don't cool. know that for sure. I could, yeah. I for, could yeah, for yeah. sure track the farm based on the, the image of the brand. Yeah. But yeah, I bet you that you could track down the cow that where, it came from. Where do you think your interest in like the heritage side of things comes from? Do you, can you trace that to like your, your dad or your mom was interested in this, that like this comes from, because so, uh, the person that you sort of remind me of is like Bill from the town butcher in this belief that like we need quality meat. We need to know where it comes from. We need to be proud of that. We need to, we need to mm-hmm. take care of our bodies and we need to take care of these animals so they can take care of us. Yeah. And so just that mindset is so rare the instinct is for people to get away from these things. So do mm-hmm. you know where this came from? Like what made you interested in this, this, uh, aesthetic, this, this, uh, philosophy? Yeah. I, I honestly have no idea <laughs> to be honest. Has uh, it always existed? Like you've always enjoyed like the things that are handcrafted or take a lot of uh, energy to, to make. I, I think it's probably more recent. Um, I don't know, probably as I've, gotten older i don't feel like i cared about it in my 20s at all but right i i don't know recently it's just something that i've kind of adopted i have no idea where it came from to be honest because you like you a, like if we were like a hundred years ago you'd uh, maybe more than a hundred years ago you'd remind me of like a blacksmith like somebody yeah. who likes hard work and like building something of quality that you can be proud of that when somebody talks about it 20 years down the line, they're like, they proudly own what you made. And it's like, it seems <laughs> like you're, you're out of your time and that you're making something of such quality and such care. And I imagine that the community that you're in is, is similar in that way that they, yeah. they miss that authenticity, that, that proud a workmanship, I think it's called where you actually like do something. And when people carry it around, they're proud to have that leather flag. Yeah. I, I would actually love to blacksmith. I just don't have the room for it, but, (laughs) um, 
I don't know where it comes from. I just, I, I love the idea of like having this thing that's, like I said, like you can see it comes from an animal. It's going to last forever. I hated, there was this, uh, actually it came from Reddit as well. There was this move it, movement on Reddit called uh, Buy It Once. And it was like a community of people that were sourcing out stuff that you buy once or buy infrequently anyway, instead of going to old Navy and buying cheap shirts and jeans. And although I buy my shirts from old Navy, they're $7, but, (laughs) um, but like, uh, like I started with, I bought a pair of red wing boots, which is one of the oldest boots, um, places in the States. Um, they also own the tannery and I buy a lot of their leather just cause I like their stuff. But those boots, like instead of buying new shoes every year, you wear the boots, the soles will wear out obviously, but they're made in a way that the sole is unstitched. You get a new sole on there. Someone stitches it back up and then your boots keep going. And there's like countless cases of people with their grandparents, red wing boots that they've just taken and carried on and you resole it every couple of years, but it's not like taking my Nikes and tossing them out and buying new Nikes every year. Right. Which I also do like, <laughs> I'm not going to run in these things, but I just like the heritage items. Cause they just continue on. Like they just keep living life. It's not like causing a ton of waste, not throwing stuff out and buying new stuff constantly. Yeah, I hate to uh, repeat the same kind of spiel each time, but there's this idea in indigenous communities. It's called the seven generations principle. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that we look back seven generations. Mm -hmm. um, And so I always try and put it into context. So like maybe your parents or your grandparents faced like, uh, World War One, World War Two, the Great Recession, uh, the Vietnam War, like uh, they faced certain challenges. And so through like what would they have hoped during the Cold War? They would have probably hoped for like, I want my kids to be born. I don't want there to be a nuclear war. They would have had certain aspirations. And then you're supposed to look forward seven generations and imagine like, what could I do in my life to like better position my kids, my grandkids? Mm-hmm. How can I? Often people think of it through wealth, but you can think of it through like, what legacy do I want to set? Certain people have built schools. Certain people have helped support libraries. There's different ways to like make your contribution to the world. Yeah. And so it seems like the one area that we've gotten accustomed to like replacing things is like with our goods. Like we have the iPhone 10, then 11, then 12. There's no culture anymore of like your phone should last you 10 years and you should be able to like throw it into a volcano and it should be fine. Yeah. Like there's no expectation of lasting in our culture anymore. It's like you, we've come to the point of like innovation is purely good. Mm-hmm. And so as long as there's new features added to my phone, I don't need the old phone anymore. And we're doing that more and more with TVs and we're doing that with clothing. Oh, it needs to have this quality or that quality. We don't seem to have that same investment in like, I want this to be something I can pass on to my children and that they can pass on to their children. That seems to be maybe what you're like, you're landing on in terms of like the culture shift that we're, we're losing that connection. Yeah. I, I do like the idea of that. Like just being able to pass stuff down and like, I feel like it would be cool to be like, this, oh, this wallet, this, my dad used this wallet or, or my grand, my, these were my grandpa's boots or whatever. And he was doing this, working in them. And now I'm like, it doesn't matter what you're doing. It's just cool that you continue using the same thing. And, and that's how it was like 
most of the time. This is just a recent thing that we, you know, buy cheaper stuff, toss it out, or what do they call it, fast fashion? Yeah. Where you buy it, toss it out, buy it, toss it out. Yeah, and we've hit the point where you can buy so much that it's like there was another, I forget who made the point, but it's like you can learn a lot through YouTube. Mm-hmm. But like the point the person was making was like you can't learn everything from YouTube. No. There's like there's a lot of wisdom. There's a lot of ways to live your life, ways to like be a good parent that you're just not going to get in a five-step crash course. These are the five things you need to know about X mm-hmm. that like – Sometimes we think since this is the new medium of communication, therefore it's the best and only medium of communication. And there is hopefully a lot you can't learn through YouTube that you learn through your grandparents, like family recipes. You can't go online and hear about your family's family recipes because that's your family's (laughs) and they're likely not on YouTube. And so connecting with those things and like learning about that and building that up is something that like you should be proud to do mm-hmm. that connects you with those past generations in a way that like I don't know if I've talked about this before too is that we don't seem to appreciate our family lineage the way we used to. We don't seem to place that weight of like what did your grandfather do and what how does that apply to you? There's this kind of belief that you're your own thing and you have no connection to your grandparents or great grandparents that you're you and so you don't need to know what they did. Yeah. And that seems to be where we're at right now. Yeah. It's funny that you talk about the rest I I I like to cook as well. So but it's I thought of that too like we don't my family doesn't have like family recipes and stuff that's not something that we have but I've thought about it and it it would be cool to think like with a family recipe like these ancestors of mine were eating this same thing that I'm eating right now. And it like should taste relatively the same, right? Like it's going to obviously be somewhat different, but like, it's like just doing that same. It's like a connection between you and them is just so cool. Yeah. And it seems like, again, it just seems like we're not promoting that, that it's whatever's new on skip the dishes or DoorDash that seems mm-hmm. to pull our attention more. And it's not that those things don't have a place. It's not that you have to pick, mm-hmm. but being able to like, that's where I think there's space to like admire other traditions, like the Jewish tradition. Um, I've heard from Eric Weinstein and Brett Weinstein there, the Jewish food is not overall considered like the most delicious food, but they've passed these traditions and the ways of doing things on from generation to generation. And, Like, uh, I lost my grandmother who was part of like my inspiration for doing this last year. And you just think about like the sacrifices people had to make during the great depression. Mm -hmm. They didn't have all the food, so they had to figure it out. And so they may have developed a recipe that doesn't taste the best, but it gives you a reminder of where she was at during that period of her life to make that recipe. And then it's like, it's more the story around it than just, oh, this better be the most delicious yam that I've ever yeah. had in my life. Like that's the, not always the the point of like the recipe. But food like really reminds you of, of those people. Like uh, I have a Mexican friend and she celebrates um, Day of the Dead. Yeah. And part of Day of the Dead is that you make your like altar, which is like a dedication to your uh, uh, dead relatives. Yeah. And you make their favorite foods and you put them there and you eat your their like favorite foods. And it's, there's definitely a connection there between uh, foods and uh and people. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've seen it, but they have it on YouTube right now, but they also have it on Disney Plus. It's uh, Morgan Freeman. He goes through all the different religions and he does one on God and all the different belief systems around God, um, like death, all the different approaches, evil, um, 
like saviors, heroes, um, and they have one on each one. And it's so interesting to see because we like to separate ourselves. I'm I'm Presbyterian, I'm Muslim. And then you see Morgan Freeman goes through each belief system and they're all they've all got those core elements and those yeah. there's there's differences in that like I think it was like a culture in India believes that you're reincarnated and being reincarnated is actually a bad thing. What you want to do is you want to pass on to and like not exist anymore. And that that is like, oh. uh, like success, like you've, you've succeeded in your life. And so you don't need to continue. And so I, I might be getting a little bit of that wrong, but the idea is that like reincarnation occurs. But if you go to this one specific spot, you don't have to be reincarnated in anymore, and that you've succeeded in your physical existence. Yeah. Where um, other cultures really struggle with like the idea of like is Jesus a real person or not? And I've always tried to land on the idea that like whoever he was, there's this idea that like he's the ultimate role model. He was not selfish. He was not narcissistic. He was not out for just himself. He was trying to make everybody better. And like, what if you lived like that? Like, why can't you start to take one step a day to live more like that? And to mm -hmm. like your choice to support people in the leatherwork and stay true to that, despite opportunities to make more money or to charge people like outlandish amounts for like the templates, you want to lean against that purely because you want to support people in their passions. And that's why you started this. staying true to that, I think is admirable. And I think it's easy for other people to look, overlook, but like you just wonder how much money could you make if you started selling templates? If you really focused on just like marketing those templates and make, you could probably make more money. Yeah. And so, and like you've invested a lot of time. Nobody could really fault you if you chose to go that route, because think of the time perhaps with your wife or like just working on things on the side that you've sacrificed to work on this, but you've chosen to stay true to it. I think that that's admirable, but it doesn't get the same golden sticker as like other things get. And I think that that's where we need to like reflect more and, and slow down and think about what do we want to admire about people? Because we do default to just money. How much money does somebody have? Well, that makes them admirable. Well, it doesn't really. Yeah. You should think more about what the person's doing and their passion. And like, I know a lot of people who aren't following their passions, who aren't doing what they need to do. So I think that's what needs to be uplifted most of all at this time. Um, when I interviewed Paul, he was like, I've been doing this since I was 13. Like, I've loved bees since I was mm -hmm. 13 years old. It's like, that's crazy. And this person knows, he was explaining how, like, honeybees, they dance in their hive in order to communicate where they're going to go out when they go out. Like, that's cool. what? And him knowing that, and, like, me, obviously, and most people not knowing that, it's like, this person's admirable because they've figured out what they like, what they care about, and they've shared that with today all of the listeners and all the people we're watching mm -hmm. and he shared that with every person he's interacted with and he does these webinars he shares it with them and so i think that that's what we need to lift up more is just people when they figure out what they care about sharing that with people and being proud that somebody was willing to do that because it seems to be the hardest step is making the first youtube video actually putting yourself out there and putting yourself on the line then improving from there yeah you know? it, it for sure is like i think it's hard putting yourself out there for like anything like when you first started anything you're gonna suck yeah it's not gonna be great and for youtube you're putting yourself out there in front of basically however many people youtube wants to show you to yeah. and you're gonna get some hate but i don't know i feel like if you put yourself out there you're gonna get some amount of hate from wherever you do it and it's just 
there's always going to be those types of people and it's kind of take what you can from it and then just disregard them. Yeah. That seems to be the the interesting thing. Do you get a lot of like negative? I don't feel like I get any negative comments. Maybe I'm not that big, but I don't get that many negative comments. No, I don't get too much. I, I get a little bit or there's, there's people there. It's not really, they attack you, but it's people that I get some like, people commenting on the channel, do this, don't do this. And then you like go check their channel and they don't put out anything. Like <laughs> it's like they just want to criticize something. Yeah. So I don't get so much hate. I get more of that, like one offs of people telling me how to do stuff based on essentially nothing. Everything I do on my channel, I've like tested and, and, and there's a reason that I do it. Like one that I get, somewhat frequently is don't put music in the background, but everything I've researched and from like testing it on my channel, my, it extends my retention. Like just because one person tells you something doesn't necessarily reflect your entire, what you're like the music in the ba back of the video that you're yeah. making. Interesting. How yeah. do you go about choosing that music? It's super easy. <laughs> There's a, um, well, you can get it for free. First of all, you can get music. There's a really good YouTube audio library, which is royalty-free music that they put out. And you can use it in your videos and monetize it. No problem. Right. Um, there's a few companies. I use one called Epidemic Sound. It's really good. They have, I think their libraries, like, I want to say like 70,000 songs or something like that. Really good. And then I just kind of listen through and try to find a song that I like. I like they have like a old school hip hop kind of uh, section. So I usually lean towards that something mellow and put that in the background. But are you more of a hip hop person? What, what type of music do you like? I like pretty much everything except country. I, I like everything <laughs> except country. So who are your, some of your favorites right now? Oh man. I don't even know. I'm a, I'm a big, like, uh, I guess I feel like I'm like aging cause I'm not keeping up to date with music. And now it's, now I'm kind of experiencing what probably my parents experienced, but yeah. I really like like um, Eminem and and uh, Dr. Dre and that whole like crew that would have been like early 2000s for me. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm still listening to a lot of their older stuff as well as listening to some of their newer stuff, but it's not the same. Yeah. Not the same. I don't disagree. I feel like there there has been a shift. I'm a big fan of, uh, I've talked about them before, Echo and Vinjay. They're very new, independent mm -hmm. people. Um, but their story is basically like, I'm doing what I'm passionate about and I'm fighting to preserve that. And mm -hmm. I just, I've, that's my favorite part about hip hop is that it feels like all of it's inspirational in that like they're defying the odds, whatever those odds are. Yeah. And I find that message super inspirational because like my teachers growing up in like middle and high school were like this kid's not going to graduate like in front of me in front of my mom like this kid's not on the right path your kid's not gonna go in the right path and so like hearing that and then listening to the m&ms that was super inspirational to me to be like don't listen to those people they have no investment in the outcome yeah. of your life and i think that that that's where hip-hop comes in i know a lot of people don't like certain songs or they have like an idea of what hip-hop is or rap but that's always what stood out to me is that belief that like defy the odds don't listen to the naysayers chase what you're passionate about yeah like they've used bad words and stuff but i've always feel like the message was mostly good and and like I don't know. A lot of what they say is, is joking. And then people are pretty sensitive and don't like some of their jokes. So I don't know. I, 
I feel like most of the like horrible stuff they talk about doing was said tongue in cheek and just they're probably not actually doing that stuff. Yeah, I don't disagree. And then I think that one of the challenges is that like we like to have like super like if you think of radio music like the music they're able to play mm-hmm. it's like it's super safe and so it doesn't have like the meaning mm-hmm. it doesn't have a story and if you don't know what Eminem went through then you're lacking a whole lot of the context of why he makes the music that he makes yeah, absolutely. and I, I think that that's part of the laziness of like criticisms is like well I don't like what he's saying and it's like well, you need to understand where he's coming from and what he's overcome because one of his recent songs was like most people have no idea what I went through and now they think I'm so famous that like I should be this way but it's like you don't realize how crazy it is that I went from where I was to where I am today and like how much odds I had to defy to be here Mm -hmm. to talk to you and sing to you today yeah that you even know who he is it's crazy yeah like yeah and and I I think he lives a like I think there's a lot of people kind of in his same circle that were same thing where they just kind of brought themselves up out of nothing and that's it's crazy. That's the best story. That's my favorite story yeah. is the one that where like somebody defied the odds. Like uh, Bigger Than Me is a song from Big Sean mm-hmm. and his uh, album I Decided was like a story. Like the album is like to me like actual artwork because the first the intro is like an old man being like I failed at life. I failed at everything. And he's talking about these kids and he's like these kids have no one to look up to man. Like I, like, I, I lived for nothing. Like I just did this job nine to five didn't amount to anything and then uh, throughout the song he has different spots where he's like he brings this old man in and he's like well, like what could I have done differently and how could I have impacted people better and then the last part of the song the bigger than me is where he realizes that like he can be that person that he made the money he was very successful um, by like um, breaking records on like billboards and stuff like that but none of that matters if he doesn't give a message that inspires and motivates people to figure out what their passion is and share that with people and then he's like he's talking to his mom on the phone in the last part and he's like I feel like I failed at everything in like a past life or something and then I'm here to like go succeed yeah. that like I've learned my lesson from like a past life and it's my job to go turn everything around for my community and like uh I don't know if you know, but like part of this started, I have like a great photo of the the Paramount behind you. And uh, my, like one of the things that like really got me involved in the community was trying to save the Paramount. Yeah. He lost in Detroit, he lost his uh, theater and he's working to bring it back and he's trying to like fund um, a theater to come back to his community. So That's I like, cool. I see a lot of parallels between what he's doing and what I'm trying to do. And so he's been a huge motivator that like, I don't know, I don't talk about too much, but talking to you it's easier to <laughs> when i'm talking about other people's lives it's tough to talk about the, myself as well i like that that's that's cool i didn't know any of that actually yeah i don't backstory. i don't know why these are the albums of from i decided yeah. i couldn't figure out anything else to put there but it looked super bland without something above and below the the logo so i thought it was important to put something in it's it's funny how like hip-hop can like influence like people that you wouldn't think like these these guys are like completely different from you or I, and then yeah. we're still sitting here like inspired by them. Even like uh, I have another leather work buddy that actually I'm going on his podcast in June, but yeah. um, like he's in LA and him and I talk and we're pretty similar too. And him and I both have like hidden like Wu-Tang Clan stuff on our, on our sets. Cause he's, uh, he's starting YouTube, but he, he blew up on TikTok. 
Interesting. Yeah. Have you messed around? What What are your thoughts on like the different social media platforms? Oh, I think it's I think it's what you like. <laughs> I mean, TikTok. I found if you do like goofy videos, it's it's easier to blow up there. Like, I, I don't think anything serious. I shouldn't say anything, but I think it's easier to blow up there if you're doing something funny. Yeah. And so I've done like a little bit, but they're kind of they're easy to make. Like, it takes me ten minutes to make a funny tiktok video and it does pretty well but even even so it's not really like my passion it it was more of just trying to do something goofy yeah yeah i find uh that super interesting like with tiktok because I, I don't know if you know this but in china they don't allow i was gonna say this yeah they, they don't allow um goofy videos to make the top list they only allow like scientific videos mm-hmm. educational videos to make that their algorithm is set up differently mm-hmm. to highlight different things and that just makes me sad. It it is, and there's conspiracy theory around it because because it's a Chinese company, is it not TikTok? Yeah. And so there's conspiracy theory that they intentionally set up the algorithm in North America to dumb us down. What's weird is that people think that that's a conspiracy theory because you think well, of the Olympics, yeah. you think of like yeah. Russia in the Olympics, and what was that documentary called? Icarus. Yeah. Of how they were trying to dope up their team to do better at the win- like, and like it's so weird to me when we think about the Olympics because it's like. It's it's weird that we define ourselves based on these standards. Like our country is defined yeah. whether we win or lose. And I always find um, I'm not that big into sports. Like um, I know like the soccer competitions go on and hockey and the Olympics go on. I've just never been that invested. Mm-hmm. I've gotten way more invested in like the UFC because I love getting connected to one person's story and seeing their rise or their fall or what they go through yeah. and seeing those interviews where like team sports is harder to connect with because it's a, if they fail, it's like the team failed. Yeah. It's not like one person. And so uh, when you think of like, is China like doing this as a conspiracy theory? It's like, why would they not want to make their oh, society smarter and like have other people trail behind? Like that seems like what they would want to do if you compare it to like Russia in the Olympics. Yeah. That seems like a smart thing to do on there. And like, if they could do, why wouldn't they? It, it seems weird that you would want other people to be disadvantaged just trying to be like an altruistic good person. But it makes sense if you are a competing economy Mm -hmm. that want to prove that your economy is better than everybody else's. And yeah, they've got some weird stuff with Huawei too. And and like different approaches to their systems. And I don't know if you've heard about what's going on in Shanghai, but they've like locked their country back down. No, I didn't hear that. Yeah, at least there's, is Shanghai a city or a state? I do not know if Shanghai is a city or a state, but I know that they locked Shanghai back down and they've had real problems because almost all of their food is fresh. Um, Like they don't have preservatives like we do in Canada or the US. And so they have to get like fresh meat. Mm -hmm. And since they've shut everything down, they've had real problems. I watch uh, Breaking Points on YouTube and they do, they're independent journalists and they do a really good job of summarizing things. And that was one of the things they were talking about. Hmm. That's another good point though, like of like being... uh we were talking about earlier how is it a good idea to like buy from Amazon or buy local and it's like some of each is good and that's another good example of like everyone thinks fresh food's better but no preserved food definitely has its place like you want some of each I was happy to have preserved food when I was stuck on an island in a flood like yeah, yeah for real and like it was interesting to see people react during the like COVID shutdowns yeah. because there was there was a little bit of flirting with the idea of like maybe like it would be better if we were more authoritative. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Like it would have been easier to like lock everything down if we had a dictator that was able to just come in and say everything is shut down the way that they did in China. And now it's like nobody wants that. Like yeah. the fact that we were able to negotiate things and try and come to a, a decisions that the, the whole society agreed with seemed like the best path forward. But like during those early days of COVID, like in the news, they were like, yeah, but like China is able to shut everything down immediately. And there was like a little bit of like jealousy towards their ability to handle it that way. Yeah. And now it's like now that we're I don't know if we can say COVID is over, that we're I think we're on our way out, that we're, that we're putting it in the rearview mirror. Yeah suggests that we're in a better state than perhaps Shanghai in their circumstances now because they're going through it again and they're trying to like get rid of it 100% by locking down and that doesn't New Zealand tried that that didn't seem to work very well yeah didn't Quebec try that too I think so curfews and stuff yeah it was a very interesting couple of years and it'll be interesting to see the the effects of the lockdowns because now there's research starting to come out to suggest that that was harmful to certain people and that it had various deleterious effects. And I think that hopefully we learn from this. Hopefully there's a lot of knowledge to gain from what we've gone through over these past few years because it's been a growing experience for so many mm-hmm. to hopefully reconnect with their family. Like you started your leather work as a perhaps partly due to yeah. like being on paternity leave, but also being at home more, it sounds like. Yeah. I had a kid during COVID too. So. What, what was that like? What was that? Actually, actually, I had a kid and then I was diagnosed with cancer the next month. <laughs> right before COVID. Okay. You have to elaborate on that one. <laughs> so it was, uh, the, the whole like 2020 was like a blur for me. It was crazy. Tell us about that journey. Okay. Uh, First, can you tell us about meeting and like finding your wife? Because I think that that's something we don't, we don't talk about enough is like what we love about our spouse. Yeah. There was, there's nothing like we met online wait like a long time ago. So we've been together. Oh, like we, this is our, I think we've been married 12 years now, uh, 13 years now. 13 years this year coming up. Wow. Um, I think we've been together 15 now, 14 or 15. But yeah, we met online like way back in the day. And then um, we've just. What was that first date like? What, what did super you awkward, man. <laughs> uh, we showed up, we went, uh, we drove out to Othello Tunnels and Hope there and just like went for a walk. But showed up. Uh, I think I dropped my keys under the car and then we drove out there, got there. Um, I had this like crappy old Cavalier, um, as we pulled in my gas gauge decided to just, all of a sudden it was like lying to me. It just went out of gas. And then I locked my keys in the car. It was a disaster. The whole thing was crazy. (laughs) It was. And then we're like, well, what do we do? So we just like went for a walk through the tunnels and stuff. Well, like this is a, a future Tim's problem. And then, uh, Went for went for a walk and then came back and and had to call BCAA and be like, hey, can you come get the keys out of the car? Also, can you bring a can of gas? <laughs> it was, yeah, it was super bad. I was super nervous and and uh, and like, oh, I totally looked like a chump. <laughs> Why? <laughs> it was it was bad. Just uh, yeah, it uh, it got better after that, obviously. But <laughs> but the first one, yeah, I was a uh, I was a nervous wreck, kind of and. Luckily, uh, she she gave me a second date. So. And what was that one like? Yeah, much better, I think. I think we just uh, played it safe and went for dinner. <laughs> but yeah, fast forward like like I said, fifteen years or whatever, and then we uh, 
finally had a, a kid and she's awesome. She's turning three in August. And that was a kind of a culture shock too, especially to like, she was born in August and then by next, was it February of 2020? We were locked down. So she was born August, 2019. And then we were locking down like six months later. Right. And then it was, yeah, it was kind of weird. Like she didn't, hasn't been interacting with kids or anything because of the lockdowns. And now we have her in like a preschool and she's getting to interact with people. But for anyone that had a kid in there, I think it was super weird. What was that like? Were, were you nervous? Like, was it because you want your kid to be like ready for the world. So mm-hmm. it was like tough at all to navigate that and be like, I wish, or were you happy to be like, I get this kid all to myself. It's kind of a, a bit of each. Like, I, I'm kind of like an introvert, so I was kind of happy to stay inside. But I think kids needs to need to socialize. So it was kind of crappy that she couldn't go out and socialize. And then they would like lift the restrictions, and we would get her out there and try to find her friend. And then they'd shut her back down, and like that happened a few times. Right. But I don't know. Seems not to have phased her. She like. I guess she got to interact with her family and stuff like that. And now she's in, actually, there's this really cool, like, outdoor preschool that she's in. That oh, cool. They meet along the, the Vetter River there, and they just go and hike and, and play in the mud. And it's super cool. I wish that is really cool. I wish something existed like that when I was a kid. Yeah. And then you were diagnosed with cancer. Yeah. So, so I was, uh, we had her in August, and then I was diagnosed with cancer in uh, September oh my <laughs> of gosh. 2019. What kind of, like what happened? How did that come about? Uh, it was a tumor, uh, like a testicular cancer. So, oh my God. so it was pretty pretty apparent, and then uh, it was diagnosed fairly fast and and uh, removed, <laughs> and it, the whole thing was like a blur. But then it sucked because like like th- that's one of the easier cancers to deal with. Like right. I didn't have to undergo radiation or anything like that. Like I was pretty lucky we cut it early, and and it's uh. I think they said I'm like 99% chance that I'll probably am cured forever now. But, but then it's like scary. And then like Amanda had just, she had a cesarean when she gave birth. So she had just had surgery too and can't like lift the baby and stuff. And then I went for surgery and now I can't lift. It was, uh, yeah, that time was a nightmare. That's, was it at all scary or was it, it was it dealt with like so quickly that there wasn't like an opportunity to be? It depended on the day. Okay. It was, some days were scary. Like more so if I was like alone driving to work or something like that, or like if anyone went out, then I was like sitting there alone. Then of course that's all you're thinking about. Right. And even then, like I knew that it wasn't like the worst cancer. Like it happens to a ton of guys. That doesn't seem like it would help that much. It doesn't in the moment. It's now I'm like, oh yeah, like I was probably fine. Like the the doctor seemed like totally chill about it, and he's like, yeah, we gotta get that out of there. It'll be fine, though. Or he didn't say it'll be fine, but he seemed so casual about it that yeah. it was pretty calming. Um, and then yeah, going to BC Cancer. Other than BC Cancer, like I find they really try to treat you with kid gloves, which is probably not the best approach for me. Like I walked in there thinking I was cured and then filled out their uh, paperwork and thought I was dying. So. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so BC cancer was like the worst place? No, I'm, I'm sure like they're catered towards like being supportive of people. 
Yeah. But I walked in there thinking that it was all behind me. And then you fill out this paperwork and it's asking you if you're like suicidal and stuff like that, <laughs> which are probably questions that they need to ask. Yeah. But I filled this out and I was like, oh God, I think I'm dying again. <laughs> oh no. So yeah, it was kind of a, it was kind of a blur of, uh, from August, 2019 to, I don't know, coming out of it now has been kind of a blur of things <laughs> yeah because then the pandemic happened shortly after that right yeah exactly yeah uh, and it was just i was i don't know off having had surgery and then i was off on during the pandemic on uh paternity leave and it was uh i don't know kind of weird for me yeah had to, did the leather work help at all with with working through that yeah for sure something it was like something to do yeah and like i have this uh I know I have like tattoos and stuff, but I have this huge phobia of needles, terrified of them. Yeah. This is like a different kind of needle. So can I, you tell us about this after your, after your, yeah, for yeah. sure. This, yeah. Um, but I was getting, uh, blood taken and tested every two months yeah. for years after, like, I think I'll have to go for blood next week, yeah. but, um, it starts at like every two months you go for blood work and then. You either do an X-ray or a CT scan, right. and they alternate because you don't want to do too many CT scans in a year. Um, and then after the first year, I think I went to once every three months, and then it went to once every four months, and progresses. And now I'm uh, once a year. I think I think this is this will be my last once every six month blood and CT scan, and then I'm once a year, which will be amazing. But yeah, terrified of needles, so that. That was almost worse than surgery for me is getting that many, that much blood drawn. Oh my gosh. So how did you end up getting the tattoos done? Like if you're uncomfortable it, with the needles. Yeah, it's a, it's a totally different experience. I It kind of feels like a cat scratch. It's It hurts, but it doesn't feel like a needle. Right. Yeah. And it's like, it's, I don't know, kind of looks like a scary thing, but it's actually just super nerdy. I really love old like horror books and H.P. Lovecraft is my favorite author okay and so this is cthulhu which is probably one of his like most famous characters interesting and what does it represent nothing it's like a big alien god in one of his books <laughs> it's just my favorite book so oh interesting yeah is that the only tattoo you have um i have a, a few i have a actually a whiskey jack on my legs i like to hike and it was what's a whiskey jack sorry it's a like a bird so uh, oh it's um we found them. We hiked up Elk Mountain one day. I love Elk. Yeah, it's yeah. probably my favorite hike because it's like short enough and the view is amazing. But yeah. when we got to the top, there were whiskey jacks everywhere and they were coming and like stealing our food, my wife and I. <laughs> like, because we have like one of those little jet boil things. So we would hike up wherever. Like, we used to hike a ton. And then I have like a coffee press attachment. So we would make like coffee at the top of the mountain. No and way. Then, uh, yeah. And then have like sandwiches and stuff. And these whiskey jacks were like, stealing our food and it was crazy they would come and land on you like you would be eating and they would come land on your arm and like peck away at your i've seen people like put out their hand yeah and have like yeah it was crazy so kind of just like that this has like very little meaning other than this is my favorite book and this is more like that was a fun time like whiskey jacks were like everywhere whenever we'd go hiking and yeah it was just kind of represented being out in the bush kind of for me yeah, I'm a big fan of uh, Israel Adesanya, who's a UFC fighter, mm -hmm. and he did a, a tattoo tour. And I think that those, like, the stories behind tattoos are always, like, interesting, even if they don't have a meaning. Yeah. But, like, somebody, like, it's connection with your favorite book. Like, that often the times 
those are not things people ask you in like your day to day. Like, what's your favorite book? Mm-hmm. And like, what is it? Like, why do you enjoy that? Like, those aren't questions that people typically ask. And so, having a tattoo of it or like an experience you had, I think that that's a cool way to preserve it. And I like the idea of tattoo tours. Yeah, yeah. I like I, I like tattoos that sorry I like tattoos that mean something. Yeah. Um, I like that this one has meaning. I think this tattoo is a nicer tattoo, but but it's again, it's like just a favorite book. But yeah. I I like. The same, like people saying the meaning behind each of their tattoos. Like my wife has a whole bunch of them yeah. and hers have a lot more meaning than mine. Do <laughs> Do you have any that come to mind? Um, she has, uh, she actually also has a bird, like not a matching one, but she has a bird on her shoulder that I think was inspired by the same thing. And then there, there's been this weird like thing in our marriage where birds, even though she's terrified of birds, which is kind of funny. Oh, interesting. Um, but birds of like kind of represented they've been symbolic for us like the whole way through even like we honeymooned in jamaica we've both always loved jamaica and so we immediately knew we wanted to go there and then like even like bob marley's like three little birds was playing everywhere there and that's kind of like became our song and like so it's like this weird bird thing yeah she's terrified of them but yeah, birds have, like, followed us everywhere. <laughs> That's funny. I'm having uh, my grandmother, like, loved birds, and she would go bird watching. Mm-hmm. And her, one of her books behind this, the Stolo Coast Salish is one of her bird books. And I'm actually trying to have uh, Chris Koo on, who uh, he does bird tours mm-hmm. at Blackie Spit and all through the Reese Valley. He's got um, bird photography, and I'm hoping to learn more about birds and owls and, like, what he sees, sort of like how I did with Paul with bees. Yeah. Like, I think that that's so interesting that, like, when you go for walks or hikes, there's you have to overlook so much that you almost become arrogant to the idea that there's stuff to learn. That there's like, like you walk up Elk Mountain or something, or you even go for a walk along the Vetter Trail or a trail near you, and you're walking past like different types of grass, different types of trees, different wildlife in the water, different wildlife in the forest. Like there's so much different birds up above you, the different types of bees. Like there's so much life around yeah. you, but you can walk the whole Vetter Trail and not think about any of it. Yeah. And so like you miss out on so much of it. Yeah. I love that better trail for that. Like I, so we both grew up in Abbotsford actually, and, and simply moved out here just for the price of housing out here was not so great now, but at the time it was. Yeah. You would awesome. have, you would have grabbed like a good time. Cause you're right near the vetter, which is like prime, prime real estate now. Yeah. 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 So, so we landed in like a, a really big townhouse, like bigger than a lot of houses. It was actually crazy. And it was total luck. Like, our realtor was amazing and he was taking us to all these amazing places, but none of them were like just right. And it was right in the middle of like a buyer's boom. And there was no um, subject to sale of your own place. So like, so we had sold our place and we needed to find a place. <laughs> and so he had to have that hard talk with us. Like you guys are going to have to settle pretty soon here. And then like the next time after we had that talk with him, he found this listing that was like at the bottom of the, all the listings online. It was, it was almost like he said, it was almost like the realtor that had listed it, like forgot to like relist it, like pull it and relist it to bump it back up to the top. It was just sitting there. It was an amazing price. And we walked in and from the moment we walked in the front door, we're like, Oh yeah, this is it. And just walked around and we're like, no, this is it. And he, he was just like, yeah, I know. It was exactly what we wanted. It's, oh my gosh. It's on the river, like not like waterfront, but it's on the river. Like I can be at on the Vetter River in 
two minutes. Yeah. We have two dogs. There's like an off leash, like dog walking section of the, the path there. We got a couple bikes. Like it's perfect for, especially like every daughter to grow up and ride her bike, go rip down the trail and stuff. It's super cool. Yeah. And the community's only getting better. It's over amazing. Time. Yeah. And like <laughs> one of the, we really like food. Um, one of the biggest things that COVID actually brought is food trucks actually like food trucking out in public. I feel like food trucks turned into this thing where they only went to events for a long time. Yeah. And now the city of Chilliwack has put all these like designated food vendor, the designated spots yeah. all along that trail. And we can like walk out and like go eat at G's Donair is amazing. Or even like walk down, we will take the bikes or walk down to Vetter. Uh, what's the park? There's a Vetter Park. Yeah. Uh, which like there's like different ones down, along the way. Down by the bridge. Yes, Vetter. Yeah. So we'll go there and they got like that coffee truck there. Yeah, Amble Coffee. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. so good. Yeah. And then, yeah, kid can play on that. I can drink some coffee and eat whatever. I tried. They had that uh, Dutch food truck there. <laughs> I tried a bunch of Dutch food. It was really good. Yeah. It's all deep fried, but it. Anything deep fried's good, I guess. But yeah, it was really good. Had yeah. some coffee and I I love the idea of doing like a I don't know if you know who Brendan Schaub is, but he has like food truck diaries, which is like a UFC thing where he sits <laughs> down with UFC fighters. I love the idea of that. I love the idea of sitting down over some food and like talking about things for like a thirty minute interview or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's kinda like a Jerry Seinfeld comics. <laughs> yeah, comics having coffee yeah. Yeah, in cars. Yeah. It was yeah. just him like taking things he likes and stringing them together. Yeah. And pitching it to a network. Hey. I want to do this, making money off it. It's yeah. awesome. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. It sounds like you're really happy in that place too. And it's a good size and it's going to be a great place for your family to grow up. Yeah. I, I love to look. We, we moved here strictly, completely based on the price of housing out here being better than Abbotsford was. And now we would never move back to Abbotsford. It was almost like underlying like, oh yeah, we'll move back to Abbotsford eventually. But no, no, I just never would. What stood out to you? What made it seem like this was the place to be that was like an improvement? Um, just like, like I said, the housing cost, it was the primary thing. Um, but we've always liked hiking and camping and stuff. So being like, I, I mean, I could be on Chilliwack Lake Road going into the back country in 10 minutes. Like yeah. it's nothing. Or we can go have like a campfire along the river there. It, it, it's amazing. Yeah. Whereas there's not a lot of places you can do that. I can, I mean, we can be up in the mountains and in snow in August if we really want. Like, it's just super cool. It's a super cool place to live. Yeah, I agree. It's very diverse. And like, I have a, a buddy who's an RCMP officer who lives in Langley and he moved from Chilliwack to Langley for the work. And one of his biggest complaints is like, you can be on like a back road, just enjoying like the stars or just on a cruise and have no traffic around you in Chilliwack. And you don't have to take like a highway to get there. And he's like, where I live, which is like right near the freeway, he's like, I need to drive on a fruit on like a highway for about 15 minutes to get into Maple Ridge before mm -hmm. I'm in an area that has like less densely populated space. Yeah. And Chilliwack is like, you can drive in for five minutes and you can likely be on a road that's taking you to the middle of nowhere. Yeah, you can. And, and like Maple Ridge, like Golden Ears is gorgeous. That's, yeah. a, that's a nice area. But I feel like Chilliwack, you can pretty much drive. 30 minutes in any direction and end up somewhere like amazing. Yeah. Like even like, uh, was that Harrison you were in at the Eagle place that you sent me? Yeah. Th that was crazy to me. Like when 
the best part of hosting this podcast mm -hmm. is meeting and talking to unique people who know things that I would never know of my independent knowledge of Chilliwack and having them be like, oh, you didn't know about this? Like, there's this eagle viewing spot in the middle of a golf course that I thought was completely private. Mm -hmm. And we just went there and, we, yeah, we were able to see the eagles. We were right along the Harrison River. It was just crazy. Yeah. It's yeah. like a 30-minute drive. like To get from here to there? Probably something like that, yeah. 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 It's like crazy. Yeah, and We're you're like right in this area and – you wouldn't know it. Like they don't market it to people that like, Hey, come into our golf course and come check out our Eagles. But like, yeah, the experience was super cool. And I'm just interested, um, because Stahelis first nation just signed a new, um, reconciliation agreement. I'm interested to see how their tourism develops. And so like, I keep going out to communities to see what's going on. I'm hoping to help my own community, which is Chihuahua first nation, which is along. Um, if you're heading to hope from Agassiz, we're on the left-hand side. Mm -hmm. I'm interested to see what other communities are doing in terms of tourism because I think, again, like that back area, people want that. They'll pay for that. And how do we make it really cool? Because um, the other person I'm having on shortly is Dean Work. He uh, he runs Fraser Valley Fishing Adventures. That's and cool. um, he just built these domes. And it's like you sleep in them, but you get like the whole night sky when you're going to bed and he just built all of those. And like, those people are like inspirational. Like mm -hmm. how do you build something like that? That's going to bring in tourism, but also give people those experiences that again, we're moving away from with like being indoors all the time and not going out into the, like we have so much, uh, what's it called? The light, the, um, oh, light pollution, light pollution yeah. that you don't get to see the stars the way you're meant to see the stars. And I think, Part of that is important for people's humility. So when he's bringing stuff like that back, uh, just that interests me. That's super cool. I, I I feel like there is like a trend going that way, like to get back to basics a little bit. Like, I mean, I love that stuff, but I still like like my phone and internet and, yeah. and that. So there is like some give and take, but I, I like that there's it's trending kind of to get back to it. And I hope like you know, going out in the bush and, and having fun comes back. Cause that's, I don't know. That's all we did as kids is just hop on bikes and disappear into the bush and, <laughs> and come back at vaguely dinner time. Yeah. And just having a little bit more risk in your life. Like it feels like that's perhaps the biggest thing that we're lacking is a sense of like, this isn't guaranteed. Like we have so many waivers mm -hmm. for everything now. Like how about when you're leaping off of a giant cliff because you're bungee jumping, you know that it's not the business's fault. If you're like <laughs> something bad happens, oh, like you're jumping off a cliff, like you want this to be a hundred percent safe. Like this cannot be a hundred percent safe. No. It's, it feels like everything's like bubble wrapped now. <laughs> yeah. Like there's, I don't know, like even raising our kid, I'm by no means an expert parent. I've been a parent for two and a half years, but there were like some things where we were just like, that seems weird. Like, why would you safeguard everything this much? Yeah. One of the weird things, we never put up baby gates on the stairs. Yeah. And we're like, well, she needs to learn how to use the stairs. She's awesome at the stairs now. She's never fallen down the stairs. We were just yeah. like super mindful. Like it almost, I almost feel like some some baby proofing would almost make you less attentful because you're like, Oh, that's there to stop that issue. And so there was like a few things where we thought it was like too bubble wrapped and some risk is probably a good thing. Like 
they're learning opportunities. Yeah. That's the weird thing. Even if you compare it to like growing up, there were like the metal slides. <laughs> Those in the summer, they burn you. They burn. And so like that feeling of like, oh, you got to be careful is like yeah. something you just learn. And it's an experience that helps shape your understanding of the world and gives you that own responsibility over the consequences rather than I need to go talk, talk to the the school or the slide manufacturer <laughs> and we need to talk about this. It's like, no, there's some things where you need to be ready for consequences. Yeah. There's like now I would say one of the biggest benefits of being a parent is that you get to go play on the playgrounds again. Yeah. So, so I get to see the new equipment. Like uh, a lot of what we played on when we were kids is gone, like yeah. long gone. Um, monkey bars. And they monkey bars think? exist. They're real low now though. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I think my favorite was like, remember the big like net of tires that was all together and it was like a U shape. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah those are long gone. <laughs> I was, the, the one I remember is the one where you'd like, you'd start running and you'd start spinning the thing. Yeah. Those and, are gone. <laughs> yeah. Those are gone. For, <laughs> Cause like even then it was like, this is not safe. If I let go, I'm flying. Yeah. There's a, there's one, like I, I would assume it's the modern version of that at, at peach park. Yeah. But they've put in it like like it spins, like it's like a little platform they stand on. It has like ropes up to the top that they can hang on to. But it's like they intentionally put horrible bearings in it that it won't spin. Like oh. it turns <laughs> if you turn it, but it won't spin on its own. Right. And I feel like that's a feature they add. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, we could give you the fast version or we can yeah. slow this down. Yeah. But I mean, that's not to say like safeguarding some things isn't worth it like definitely the so now there's no pea gravel it seems a park at uh, playgrounds now and they, it's like bark mulch yeah. that's way nicer to land on that, yeah. that makes more sense to me <laughs> yeah. I suppose, well, it would even be better if they had that spinning thing that they were able to land on that instead exactly of, yeah. so you're also interested in the ufc and i'm just interested in your in yeah i i Love it. I haven't been following it too much. I, I became a big uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov fan. Really? I Yeah, I, I started to really like that guy, other than his, like, uh, little freak out he had with uh, Connor's crew. Yeah. But, but then there was, like, a lot to that backstory, too, that led up to that. So I can yeah. I can understand him losing his cool, but, man, was he a good wrestler. Yeah. And I just, like, I was ordering, like, all of his fights, and oh, I just, like, I really liked watching him fight. And I'm, like... I've done a bit of martial arts, like nothing in the last few years now. And I'm not a wrestler at all. I'm like a stand up guy, but watching him wrestle was just, he was like a, watching a little monkey, watching yeah. a spider crawl around the mat. He was amazing. He was so fast and just amazing wrestler. So you didn't keep up with Hamza Chimaev at all? No. No? Because he's like the next touted. Is he? Yeah. He's oh. touted as better because uh, he just fought Gilbert Burns. Um, last week and he had four, fought four guys previous to that and only been punched twice wow. and they were non-significant strikes and so then he fought Gilbert and it was a three round war Wow! and it was really good but he's kind of touted as like Islam Makachev is kind of touted as like Khabib's younger younger 
prodigy. But Hamzad is like interesting because he does it all. He's expert wrestler. He's loved by people like Alexander Gustafson, um, and like well respected. And then he's got the striking. Like he knocked one guy down with one punch, and it was out. Wow. And it was like he. We just watched him last weekend, and he's a very interesting cat because um, he kind of came out of nowhere, and he's taken. He's considered like potentially the next Connor because he's won all the fights. He just beat the number two. Now it's Kamaru Usman. If he wins that fight. He's the champ. And then he wants That's to go awesome. after um, welterweight and middleweight. And so, like, I'm very interested to see where he takes it. I love the UFC because I find them so inspirational. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's, like, it's the highest dose of inspiration that you can get because they're literally going out there and they're risking their body, their health, their mental health. And, like, if you watch the thrill and the agonies after, they go through, like, what it feels like to lose. Mm-hmm. And it's like the, the, the biggest loss of your life yeah. because it's in front of everyone. And you have this like intense sorrow of like nothing was worth it. And for people like uh, Dan Hooker, he was away from his family due to COVID. He had to go over to the U.S., fight, and then he lost. And he had to f- spend like four weeks in quarantine by himself with that loss. Like I can't even mm-hmm. imagine. That's and crazy. so like my respect for what they do is like – there's there's not much higher than my respect for those individuals. Yeah. Well, and they, and they step in there. Like, I, I know they train kind of, like, as a team. But then you step in there and you're on your own. Like, yeah. it's you and one other dude or one other girl. Like, it's yeah. you're by yourself out there. And it's another one of those things where you'll step in there and the world's going to criticize everything you do in there having never stepped in by himself. Like just to step in the ring is, is, is a win in itself. Yeah, like cause you've having done the guts lot. to do that. Yeah. That's yeah. those, those guys are, they're absolutely crazy. Well, like crazy in a good way. Like they put so much work into it and then they have so much guts just to, just to step in the ring and face another equally scary individual. <laughs> Absolutely. And you think of people like Conor McGregor, who kind of pioneered it. We were drinking proper 12. Mm-hmm. And you think of like the willingness to continue to fight despite having enormous amounts of wealth. Mm-hmm. To like set up for life, still wants to do it because he still wants that respect in the field that he developed himself in. But he's someone that came from absolutely nothing too. He was homeless at one point, I understand. Yeah. Like... Unreal. And, and for him, like I'm, I'm not, uh, not the biggest fan of his, just his antics and stuff, but like just watching him fight and continue to want to go out there and fight. Like there's like in, in martial arts, there's this trend of once you're at the top, you kind of want to pull away from that because you don't want someone to knock you off the top. Yeah. Connor seems like someone who will fight anyone any day. It doesn't matter. Yeah. You you name it. I'll I'll like he just wants to fight and I like that about him. Yeah, and I think that that's the challenge that someone like Khabib faces now is that he doesn't have that same like people are like, "Well, what if he had have faced someone like um Charles Oliveira, who's the new champ mm-hmm. of the 155 pound division?" There's like there's questions left, and those questions will only grow over time where Connor's still in there and win or lose, it's brave to step in there because mm-hmm. you don't have to. And that feeling of not ha- like it's tough to know how much when you're trying to climb to the top is lost once you're at the top. 
And once you've made all the money and once you could retire, whether or not, like, there's that old saying of, like, living in silk sheets, can you really be able to get out of bed the same way you did when you were, like, on the pavement sleeping on the ground? Like, yeah. is that motivation still there? And that's that's a really interesting thought experiment, even to apply to your own life. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, I think the difference there is just that Connor just has the love of the game. Yeah. Like, he'll always, I bet you he's always there at some capacity, whether he's, like, an old man commentating. or I bet you he'll always be around it in some form. And I think even Dana White has said that, that Connor was the guy that he could be like, hey, I need you to fight this guy. Hey, I need you to fight this guy. And he doesn't care. He's just happy to be there. Yeah. Whereas Khabib was, I would say he was probably at least when he was fighting was the best wrestler out there, made it to the top and then played it safe and was like, no, I'm out. Yeah. (laughs) And maybe he comes back. Maybe that's a play too, because that that has worked before. He can make big bucks leaving and then coming back. Absolutely. So what would you say your your game is? What is your love of the game? Is it is it communicating ideas? Is it communicating heritage? Is it like what aspect like because you're doing leather work, but you said that could have gone to um, if you could have, that would have gone into like uh, glass blowing. That could have gone into different worlds. So, yeah. what is your? What would you say like the hallmark of like? I don't want to lose this. I I love this part of it, and I I want to continue that. Whatever it looks like, it sounds like it could be YouTube. What what does that look like for yeah. you? Yeah, I think it's almost more just making something. I'm like, I would have said leather before I started YouTube, and then I started making YouTube videos, and now I really like that. But looking back, there was the interest in like making blades and stuff like that too. So I, I think I just was like looking for a way to make something by hand or make something myself and just not just be a consumer kind of Yeah. like, I don't know. It's, I like making the videos themselves. Like they could be about absolutely anything. Like I'm planning on making a YouTube channel. That's just me doing stuff that I like to do, whether it takes off or not. I don't know. Tell us about that. (laughs) Um, like, well, my wife laughs and jokes that I'm kind of the man of a thousand hobbies where I just try everything. It's like a hobby to collect hobbies for me. (laughs) So I, I, I did jump on the like sourdough bandwagon at the start of the uh, pandemic as well, because I had time off or, um, so sourdough, that's the one where you like, you need like something to put like a yeast, yeah, you need something living to make this like sourdough starter. And it's like yeast and bacteria. And so I wasn't good at it. I, I do have some, I'm trying, I'm doing my second attempt at it now, but I've never made a good sourdough, Right. but there's that. I bought a pizza oven. I make pizza at home now. That's something I like to do that. I am good at, <laughs> um, I've made some really good pizzas, me and my brother, are working on we're making so i have a 3d printer we're making replica proton packs from the ghostbusters um we've almost finished printing out one of them uh i just like making things yeah uh, i recently decided i want to learn to cut my own hair i don't want to pay for someone to cut my hair anymore so this is my first haircut it looks really good <laughs> thank you yeah. <laughs> um i don't know i just like doing things myself and i will pretty much try anything I really like to cook, so I'm at the point where I make a lot of stuff myself. Like, I don't buy mayonnaise. I like to make mayonnaise. I make butter. I make. <laughs> you make your own mayonnaise? Yeah. That's crazy. It's easy. It's, like, easier than anyone would realize. Is it easier than buying mayonnaise? I could 
<laughs> if, if you had to go buy mayonnaise now and I had to make it right here, I, it would be made by the time you got back, like before you got back. No way. Yeah, easily. What's the, what do you need for mayonnaise? Uh, some acid, which is like either lemon juice or vinegar. Right. An egg, a uh, cup of oil, some seasonings. Interesting. A blender. <laughs> it's it, it's super easy. And so, do you do you feel like you you have this great place, but you remind me of a person who would want to live like more up in the woods, like just based on like what you're saying, what you're describing to yeah. me is a person who's like more a little more off the grid, not like a hundred percent off the grid, <laughs> but a person who's like happy to have like more of a disconnect. Would is that sound accurate? I, I would like it for some amount of time, but I like my technology too. Yeah. So. That's probably another benefit of Chilliwack is it's kind of halfway between. Right. I, I can be in Vancouver in, what, an hour and a quarter? Yeah. Or I can be completely in the middle of nowhere going an hour in the other direction. Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, I'm lucky in that my my folks bought a, uh, a cabin uh, up north by, uh, by Lone Butte last year. I so, don't even know where that is. Oh, it's, I want to say, like 100-mile area kind of right. way way out in northeast from here right and that's that's pretty nice but even then it's pretty like glamorous cabin like spot like there's still like cell reception and stuff like that right. I, I don't think i would go off the grid for too long i like that stuff yeah and you can you tell us about that person that you admire who makes uh i'm forgetting his name oh valide yeah oh no uh the person that has their own youtube channel cigars whiskey oh jeremy sears there you go. did you check out his channel i did of course he's pretty good hey? that's what made me think like this might be a good setup he's he's pretty good uh so that's kind of what i plan on basing my like just my like my name youtube channel on is he just he's into a lot of the same stuff that i'm into and he just likes making videos i think he's a i think he started as a photographer um kind of peter mckinnon-esque but yeah he's just drinks whiskey makes coffee, smokes cigars, does a bunch of things and just start making YouTube videos about doing those things. I think in his like about section, he says, I make videos on what I like to do. Yeah. And that's what I want to do. <laughs> um, so my plan for that is, yeah, just to make videos almost, I guess, vlog style yeah. kind of thing of me just doing things kind of maybe like an underlying how to do this message in a longer, this is me being me video yeah. kind of thing. Does that, it's still evolving. Yeah. No, that makes sense. It's unique because I'm in the interview sphere. Like um, when I, I wrote a paper on like the different avenues for podcasts and YouTube mm -hmm. and like um, interviews are second to how to's and personalities and um, just mm -hmm. sharing your, your own journey. And so it's interesting to hear the differences between what I'm doing and yours mm -hmm. in that yours is going to be just you. And you're going to yeah. be sharing like what you're interested in and developing a community based on that. Yeah. And kind of my idea for that is to sort of pull me out of my comfort zone too. Like, um, like I said, I have issues being like excitable on camera and that was kind of, kind of force me to be on camera more and, and be more entertaining, like doing a personality based channel. Yeah. So I don't know how it'll go. I have two videos filmed. I have one uploaded that I am sitting on and haven't hit publish on yet. It's just kind of sitting there like an intro thing. And then I did one of like the first time, like me cutting my hair for the first time, which is super nerve wracking. Oh, interesting. You like you recorded that? <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Just by yourself downstairs. Yeah. I just like went in the bathroom and I like 
hung my camera on the towel rack and cut my own hair. It was super sketchy. It turned out fine. It, there's like there's a few spots, but it's not so bad. I but, don't I don't think anybody's gonna notice. <laughs> but it's like I don't know. It was one of those things. I was just thinking. Well, I go pay a guy fifty bucks to cut my hair. You pay fifty dollars to get your hair cut. Well, like. 30, it's like 30 bucks, 35 plus. You go to a fancy place. Do they have TVs? He does my beard too. Okay. 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 (laughs) Um, so like, yeah, with, with like a decent haircut and a beard trim and tax and tip, it's about 50 bucks. It's somewhere between 40 and 50. Right. But that's every time. And then I was like, well, actually Reddit again, there's a community (laughs) on Reddit called self barber. Uh, I went, I went on there and I went to like a barber subreddit and I went to the self barber one and there's people doing like amazing haircuts on themselves. And I was like, why am I paying 50 bucks for this? I'm no male model. I don't need someone to like do my hair for me. Like I need to basically know how to do my hair and, and cut my beard. So I was like, Oh, I'll give it a shot. And I like looked up a decent clipper to buy and bought it. And was your aesthetic planned because you, you have like the market that you're going after, you have the good aesthetic for, like you have, you have this yeah. really thick, strong beard. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, I guess, well, I've had the beard for a couple of years now, so I, I don't think so. I think it's just like, kind of like doing that kind of like leather heritage stuff is an interest of mine, but it's probably a, a look that just kind of plays into my interests as well. Yeah. Cause the videos just look perfect because you look like the correct person to be doing the videos. Like it just, it, it yeah. it's perfectly synergistic. I, I feel like it's probably like someone who has an interest in this might have an interest in this. Like, I feel like they probably just go together by chance. Right. It wasn't like grow the beard. Cause I make leather kind of thing. No. Yeah. Like I, yeah. I definitely don't think that you did the beard just for that. Yeah. It's just, it comes so naturally. Like it looks so, uh, appropriate. <laughs> yeah. I, I could definitely see that. There's, well, I know a ton of leather workers now because I talk to a ton of people, but a lot of them are like just big dudes with beards. <laughs> yeah, like hardworking individuals. Yeah. I, I think that that's, yeah, I, I think that that's important that we have individuals like yourself to turn to um, and like learn different things from because I think that your willingness, like your mindset that you're sharing with people is like a willingness to learn. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, like that open-mindedness to like, maybe there's something here and I'm going to go check it out. And that development over time is so, we have everything we need now. Yeah, It's now just about figuring out what you want to do. Yeah. Like there can't, we can, we talk about like, uh, like where is like, is, is things affordable or things this, but it's like, you now, there's no excuses on the table of like, I don't know a person in finance, so I can't learn about finance. Mm-hmm. I don't have a next door neighbor who's a lawyer, so I can't learn about the law. It's like the knowledge is there. You just have to go sit down and watch yeah. the videos and start to understand where to go read the books and start to put things together in order to develop yourself. And you are a prime example of that, of that willingness to be like, I'm going to learn about this, then I'm going to learn about that. And those, that culture of lifelong learning, I think, is becoming more commonplace. But it's so important that people take it seriously and start to look for, like, what am I interested in? Let's go watch some videos. What do I like about they, what they do? Figuring out, like, am I – like, I started a, a Substack account. And it was like, I don't consider myself a writer. I love conversations. But I'm going to 
develop myself in this new way that maybe is a little uncomfortable for me because yeah. it's not my normal medium to see what's in this medium that I'm not getting from this medium. And so that open-mindedness of like, I'm going to do leather work. Now I'm going to start a YouTube channel. Now I'm going to learn about how YouTube works. Now I'm going to try something else with YouTube. It's like you're seeing the evolution of yourself mm -hmm. over this journey. And I think that that's crazy motivational for people to figure out what they're interested in and then follow that same sort of trajectory. Yeah. Well, that's about like investing. Like what if, if you find something you are interested in, investing your time into it too. Like, I, I mean, you can always pull back if you're like, oh, that's not for me, whatever. But like you had said earlier, you can't learn everything from YouTube, but it's a good, it's a good place to start. And like for me, leather, I started there. Then I started in interacting with the leatherworking community on Instagram. And then I found a mentor that was nearby who, you know, Skyped with me or whatever, like video chatted with me and taught me stuff. What did that mean to you? Lots. He still helps me all the time. It's insane. Like I dropped by his house and he's like, oh, I have this for you. I have this for you. You do this. Like. It's insane. He's amazing. Does it surprise you that like people are that open that, that they're that, but did that surprise you at all? It did at first. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then like getting to know him, he's just kind of that guy, but then getting to know a lot of like the leather workers, it's a really supportive community mm -hmm. and I don't, I'm not really in a bunch of like creator spaces other than that community, but I would imagine they gotta be the same. Yeah. I think like woodworkers and all that are pretty supportive of each other. Right. Like my old man's a wood turner and he's in a group and they're super supportive of each other and showing each other ideas. So I think creators like to play off each other. Yeah. It's something I've tried to encourage in the podcast space is like, I think there's an instinct for people to think you're in this space too. Therefore you're my competition. Yeah. But in my mind, it's like, no, because if you're bringing people to the podcast space, if you, people are listening to you, that's just bringing up the amount of people listening. And like, I've talked about this a few times, but the um, average like uh, reading uh, ability in Canada is like something like a C mm -hmm. out of like ABC. And so it's not great. Mm -hmm. And so podcasts, audiobooks, these are more YouTube videos. These are more accessible for so many people who don't have good literacy skills. Mm -hmm. So I think more people in this space making podcasts more commonplace is not hurting anyone. But there's that initial mindset to be like, oh, you're going to take my listeners. And it's like the odds that they can listen to this and your video are like yeah. super high. Yeah. Yeah. It's... I didn't know the literacy rate was that low. Yeah, it's it's not great. It's uh, from my understanding, it's mainly because we have the oil fields and we have such natural resources that there's such an advantage in grades 10, 11, and 12 to drop out of school to go work in the oil fields, to go work in the lumber lumber industry because it's money today. Interesting. Versus a four year degree, and then you're like you've got your education and like what is that worth? What work do you want to do? And so the motivation to drop out or stop school earlier to go work in the oil fields yeah. is so advantageous for people that they choose that over. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, I can, I mean, I, I like to think my literacy rates higher than that, but I don't read at all. So yeah. I, and I listen to a ton of podcasts. Yeah. I think it's, it's a, it's a reliable way forward. And I think it just, it makes 
like truck drivers are one of the biggest consumers of podcasts. That makes sense. We're, but we're, we've been over the course of history so judgmental of people doing those honest, hard jobs. And even more recently, we've been kind of demeaning to the the work of truckers and trying to say this part of truckers is good and this truck part of truckers, they're the the not intelligent people. And it's like mm-hmm. most of these people listen to audiobooks, podcasts, they're educating themselves. And that was something for me where I didn't think I was intelligent when I was going through high school. Then I'm listening to neuroscientist Andrew Huberman breaking down like the brain and how it works. And it's like, oh, maybe I'm not stupid. Maybe I'm like, yeah. maybe there's something in this brain that's actually of use. And so I think that they allow you to realize like, maybe I am interested in neuroscience. Maybe I am. Maybe I'm allowed to be interested in these things, even if I don't have a degree in it. Yeah. 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 What does is, what is Huberman call them? Aficionados? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like that. Yeah. I like I like to think I'm an aficionado of it, but like half of what he says is over my head and he's dumbing it down, which is bad too. <laughs> yeah. He, but it's so cool when people do that and they choose to yeah. share it. Cause then you go like, wow, there's so much of the world that I didn't know. And this is what an expert looks like. And an expert doesn't have to be someone in a white lab coat saying, you're dumb. Listen to me. I've got the pill for you. Mm-hmm. He's breaking these complex things down and not assuming you're not smart enough to figure it out. Yeah. Well, and he shows like an expert, like the difference between someone who can look up information online and then regurgitate it versus someone who like knows the material because he, he's can sit there and, and cite names and studies and, and like the names of everything that he's saying, whereas some keyboard warrior trying to refute you online is going to be on Wikipedia and copy pasting. So, like it's, you can't learn everything online. It's just a good starting point maybe to gauge your interest yeah that was the interesting thing i learned about oral cultures um in indigenous communities is that like we didn't have things written down so it was all based on memory so a lot of our stories are the mixture of moral stories and geographic locations um and the the mixture of the two allow you both to learn how to live a meaningful life but also tell you where you are in the area like um La Chiam means where wild strawberries grow, and at the base of Chiam is a wild strawberry patch. That's interesting. And so there's a mixture of the two that give you an idea of where you are. And then there's a story of Chiam being like a lady who was turned to stone and that she's looking over all of us. And that's why Chiam is such a tall mountain, is so they can look over all mm. of Sol Tamiu, which is the Fraser Valley. And so, like, there's a mixture of the two. There's a story of like, the cedar, tr- I, I love cedar. Like, if I was going to get into something, it'd probably be woodwork. Because I think, like, that that um, image beside you, mm-hmm. I thought it was so crazy that somebody made that up in Boston Bar. Yeah. And so the story of the cedar tree is that there was a really good man who always gave back to his community who was turned into a cedar tree so he could continue to give back to the community. And Stolo people have used cedar trees for a very long time. And I didn't know this, but cedar trees are actually predominantly only located in the lower mainland of Britain. Columbia. They're oh. not really located across Canada or across the U.S. They're mainly here. And so um, they'd use other trees that were subpar. And so when they'd have hats or clothing, they were not as good as cedar. And so cedar is considered like top tier. Mm-hmm. And that story of like the man I would compare to like a Jesus figure, this person who always gave back, turned to a cedar tree, helps us live high quality lives and improved all of the equipment that we use. Interesting. Yeah. That's really cool. Is that from like the trading post thing up in Boston Bar there or from someone that you know? Or? Just somebody that we were working with. That's super cool. Yeah. 
Tim, I really appreciate you being willing to come on. I've I cannot be more proud of this. I will be definitely repping uh, this really cool business card holder slash I'm going to definitely use it as a wallet glad you like it, um, yeah. uh, in the future. Can you tell people how they can connect with you on social media, um, on YouTube, Instagram? Yeah, for things? sure. Um, probably if you want to reach out to me, you can go to my website, blackflagleathergoods.com, and there's an email form there. Um, or you can send me a message at blackflagleather on Instagram. I do get back to everyone eventually, but I'm getting like more and more messages that sometimes takes me a few days. Um, you can watch me on Black Flag Leather Goods on YouTube, as well as I'm starting a Tips Wrigley on YouTube. Uh, exists. I have 24 followers already, actually. That's pretty good. That is really good. Can, hey, <laughs> I don't have anything yet. No. Um, and then I'm also starting a website called howtoleatherwork.com, which is uh, a work in progress, so there's not much there yet. Hopefully it grows into like a, just a course of how to leather work. That's amazing. And we just did uh, over three hours. Did we really? Yeah. Oh, wow. They flew by. Yeah, absolutely. And a great conversation. I hope that we can do this in the future because I think I enjoy being more casual. Uh, sometimes I, I put on the interview hat and I, I get serious. Um, and I want this to be something where people can tune in and have like a more enjoyable, yeah. relaxed conversation. And so I hope that that's what listeners got out of this. It's certainly how I felt, which was more just having a really good conversation. It was super comfortable. I was, uh, I was nervous coming in and, uh, yeah, that three hours just flew by. That's great to I would hear. definitely come back. <laughs> Perfect. Well, we'll try and make this a reoccurring thing because I think cool. there's a lot to learn from people like yourself and maybe there'll be questions in the future. Um, and, and we can collaborate on that. Yeah, I would love to. Awesome. Thank you, Tim. Thanks, man. <laughs>